You're listening to Power Athlete Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering your performance every damn day. Join former NFL pro and Power Athlete founder John Wellborn as he dissects the greatest minds in strength, conditioning, and more. Joining him is everyone's favorite coach and hair model, Chris, a.k.a. Tex McQuilkin, Power Athlete's Director of Performance. So whether your goal is to be the hammer, destroy mediocrity, or simply move the dirt, you've come to the right place. Now with the warm-up done, let the gains begin. Power Athlete Radio, welcome to another episode. we got a special guest in person, Joey Burglis. Coach, how you doing, buddy? Doing real good. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. So you're in town for the University of Texas Sports Performance Clinic Ooh. tomorrow. Very I will nice. be I think in we, attendance. We were, I, I spoke we, at that. Yes, yeah. as did I. We were alums. alums. It's a awesome. Speaking of alums. Coach Anna Craig does an amazing job. Donnie Mabe, as always. So, dude, welcome to Austin and Power Athlete HQ. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, super excited to be here this weekend and, uh, you know, excited to be here and, you know, have a really good learning experience and meet a lot of new people. So, yeah. Joey, you're the director of strength and conditioning at J.J. Pierce High School in Richardson, Texas. Correct. So, uh, Dallas area. Yeah. And then we, you also coach two middle schools. Correct. Yeah, which is, I mean, awesome because you worked with the college level. Uh, where where college have you coached? You said so, Texas Tech and I was at Texas Tech. I was at Utah State, uh, and then I I was at uh, Lindenwood University's Division Two school in the St. Louis area. Uh, before Wait, that, I, they're di- Division One lacrosse. Oh, oh, actually, and they did actually just go D one. Okay, I think go, for all across the board. Yeah, across the board. So it was actually interesting. Uh, when I was there, they were a long time ago. I got recruited. I played baseball in college, so I got recruited by them like fifteen plus years ago when I was in high school. When they were NAI, then they went D two, but. When I GA'd there, they were all D2, but their women's hockey team was D1. So, like, they would play, like, we, you would play your normal, like, D2 schools, but it'd be like, oh, our women's hockey team's playing Minnesota this weekend. Oh, wow. yeah. And it's like, lose 11 to nothing, you know what I mean? Like, these top-ranked teams, like, whatever. But uh, since then, they've gone D1. Um, but before that, I was at uh, a small NAI school in Central Florida called Weber International University. Um, so I've kind of gone the gauntlet, I guess, if you will, of, like, from small small college to, you know, D2, you know, mid-major to low-level D1 to Texas Tech, you know, Power 5 to, to high school, junior high. Uh, you know, so I think that's probably one of the things, uh, you know, that's helped me a lot, uh, you know, trying to, like, philosophically figure out, like, what younger kids need. is it, This is, like, one of the biggest things is, like, being able to get, like, guys are, I mean, playing in the NFL right now, you get them on the table, and it's like you're a 19-year-old that's, like, big, strong, fast, whatever – but you look at your hip and it's like your hip, like you have zero degrees of hip internal rotation. You know what I mean? Like you're 19 years, this shouldn't happen. You shouldn't be 19 years old and be, you know, a 300 pound, you know, six, three, you know, one tech and have a horrible hip at 19 years old. So it's kind of like trying to backtrace. Well, how does this happen? You know what I mean? I, I've gotten, uh, I've gotten a pretty good uh, gauge on, you know, kind of some of that stuff, especially like when you go through growth spurts at a young age and kind of seeing that with individuals. That so I have you think now. it's more um, like evolutionary where they're just like, you know, this is how they're growing more so than just kind of like uh, nature versus nurture. Um, I would say honestly, cause this is one uh, we've got a kid like, so a specific example, his brothers, uh, he plays, uh, Division one, I don't want to give away too much of his personal information, but he plays division one football. Um, has been like a three year starter off, you know, six, four, his brother, um, is probably gonna be, you know, six, four, six, five. So I've been able to work with him right after he started seventh grade when he was, you know, a very good offensive lineman and kind of see with some of the stuff that we do. Cause I, uh, one of the things that, you know, I'm a big proponent of, especially with the younger kids is like training through a full range of motion. Shocker. So like the bigger you are to you mean lifting weights to full range of motion yeah i know That's exactly such a novel i know idea. i know i know exactly um but you see like you think about like you know a, a five foot two kid doing a like a full olympic style squat sure. the range of motion they're going through it's not very much but when you're long and lanky and you're young and you're not strong 
in, in any way, that larger range of motion is so much more challenging to go through. You know what I mean? So like, what yeah. happens? What happens? Yeah. And it's um, not fucking six yeah. six. And, and kids, it's not no because, idea what you're uh, talking yeah, about. Yeah. Do you guys know what it's like to be six six? Because I know what I, it's like to be five seven. And like five ten, five ten. I, I was five seven and five ten. I just was twelve years six old. Six years, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think that, and I think it's not because kids don't want, like, they're not working hard. But we've all been there when we were, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old. This is this is very uncomfortable. So like, the challenge is, say you get a group of like. 40 of those kids, 30, 40 kids, if you can't individually and like be like, no, 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 go down two more inches. And I can just look at the look on their face. And it's like, this is tough to like, oh, this is the worst thing ever. So is a kid going to intrinsically go there when they're 13 years old to that, you know, extremely difficult spot? No. And they're, well, they have the capacity. I would say they have the capacity. They will. But uh, there's a major component that doesn't exist today that existed probably when I started lifting weights. You know what that is? Shame. I mean, it's true. Like, we were shamed into doing things. We were shown, like, hey, these are what the big, strong dude's doing. This is what you're doing. And we'd be shamed. I re like, I remember freshman uh, freshman football, 14 years old. Um, Brandon Himbleright was a senior. Dude squatted 500 for reps. Astergrass, like, I mean, and I hate the term Astergrass, but, like, below parallel, really nice. And then he watched our squat, and then he went and did it and basically made fun of us until we did it right, which I don't know is a good way of doing it, but, like, shame isn't nearly as prevalent today. Like, it's somehow viewed as bad, but... Shaming in the weight room was kind of like, I thought that was coaching. Oh, shocker. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and I think, so kind of with that too, like to your point, like there is, we want to do stuff like, I, I, like uh, you know, systematically. At the same point though, like this was one of the ones, uh, things that just came up with like the high school group. And I was telling them like, you know, we do, you know, all this other, but I was like, the only coaching cue I have today, because it was kind of like just some other stuff that was going on. Like, we just need to work harder. Like, I don't have, I don't have, like, we're, I don't care about, like, whatever, like, we see, I see too much standing around by the water fountain talking in groups of four or five. Like, when I go to the gym and people that want to get really big, strong, you know, make improvement, they're not social. It's not social hour. It's like, I'm coming in to train and that's the priority. Like, you can't, hey, I'm going to do a heavy set of bench. Let's go have a four minute casual conversation over here and then come back and bench again. And that's one of the challenges of, like, trying to get kids to understand that component. You know what I mean? Because that gets, you get to the point where it's like, you can kind of BS your way through lifting weights for, you know, a year and a half, two years or whatever, and you're going to make progress. Then you get to the point where it's like, no, I actually got to work really hard and be focused to a certain degree to get to that next type of level, yeah. if you will. Um, and that's kind of the challenge, you know, with that. Going back to uh, the, 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 the larger individuals, I think that's where it's like, you'll see they have the capability to do that at 13, but it's super, super difficult. Yeah. And it's like, if you don't use it, it's going to get taken away. You know what I mean? So like the same thing, mm -hmm. if you're in a boot, you know, for a foot or something like that for like three months and then you come back, does your ankle, you, does your ankle just feel really stiff? So now like it, the way that I try and like describe it to other coaches or whatever, like if you have the ability and then you slowly start not getting into that range of motion, whatever it is, you're going to start losing it. And then when you get to 18, 19, it's, it's 10 times harder to try yeah. and get something back instead of trying to keep what you have and then stay with that. Well, um, uh, so one of my huge contentions, um, and I like, Social media has kind of brought this front and center. Uh, I don't know how on the algorithm, a bunch of like offensive line, high school coaches and just athletes. And like, the, you know, now all of a sudden there's all these O-line experts, uh, which is hilarious to me because I've never heard of any of them. Um, even like the top dude, like I didn't play. Uh, so what's wild is I'll, I'll kind of watch it a little bit and I'm amazed at the lack of mobility in these kids. And what they've effectively done is instead of asking the kids to be more mobile and forcing them into these positions, they've just altered the technique 
where it looks like absolute dog shit. Mm -hmm. So they're actually coaching these kids, not necessarily like forcing them to do. And I mean, I can easily show like, uh, you know, flexibility and all the things I did in terms of like perfection and technique. They just said, you know, these kids can't do it. So like, you know, you're missing range of motion in your ankle. I'm just going to open my foot up. And I'm going to have these kids drop step and I'm going to have them do all this shit. Like, I'm not going to have them play with a flat back. They're, you know, I'm just going to kind of get them into this position because they don't have any flexibility in their hips. So instead of forcing these individuals, showing them the perfect technique and then forcing them to be strong and flexible, full range of motion, they've just shaping them. They've just bastardized the technique to make them extremely fucking lazy and to just take like, hey, they don't have any range of motion. They got no dorsiflexion. So let's just change the technique. And now they're actually coaching the technique in such a way that even if you had it, you don't need it, which blows my mind. So like, would you say example wise of like, and this is kind of one of my, I want to pet peeve or whatever you want to call it. But like, I see a lot of 14, 15 year old kids in these high handle trap bar deadlifts when it's like your squat, you have no mobility. Like that's kind of like the cop, like, I'm not saying that's a bad exercise, but like, why is your 14 or 15 year old having to do that? Because they can't get down into it like a good, even like a, a barbell deadlift position because they want to use more weight or whatever. My, uh, well, if, if you're going to overload, it's kind of like a rack pull to me. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but I also believe that I, I think the trap bar should be used at some point, but you have to learn to pull a bar off the ground because you have to understand how to pull it tight and all the you know positioning yeah. stuff. If you just go straight to the trap bar, which, you know, even with the guys we've been working with, we started with the barbell and then we just moved to the trap bar at certain points just for, you know, uh, jumps and other things we can't do. But um, I, I'm, I'm with you, dude. Um, I think what we've done is we've seen like, you know, hey, like he can't squat. Let's just have him do trap bar for a 14 year old kid. I like it's not like he's a 25 year old professional yeah. athlete. that got to get ready for an NFL season. Right, where you're like, I ah, can't squat this trap bar. Like a 14 year old kid, put him in the model and force him to do these things. And uh, it's supposed to look like shit. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, like, like when I started lifting weights, it looked awful. And I remember like watching it and watching other people and thinking, like, do you think we're going to suck at this thing forever? And I just remember like the other older, like big strong dudes all moved pretty well. And like I remember telling my buddy, like, I think if we just keep doing this, we'll eventually get better at it. Yeah. And uh, it just kind of worked. And I think I'll be honest, I've worked with enough like, you know, 12, 13, 14 year old kids now. Like there's very few, like there are some that's like, oh, we, I wish we could have started working with a couple years ago. But there's very few that I look at, I'm like, this is really bad at 13 mobility wise. You know what I mean? So it's like, how does it go from being like 13, 12 to being not that bad to like, it's in a relatively short amount of time where it's like, this got bad quick. Well, but it, is it a mobility issue? Because I like, you know, the only frame of reference I have, at least in this conversation, I'm kind of using myself. Like, I don't ever remember having a lack of flexibility or movement. We were just really shitty in terms of strength and understanding what it was supposed to look like. So, I mean, like, I remember, uh, like, the kids today have, I mean, which is so amazing. Like, you can watch YouTube. Like, if you, like, like, I always tell people, like, if you don't know what good technique is, you're either, like, you're living on an island or you just haven't looked at any social media. I mean, there's a lot of good, but there's also some amazing stuff. So, like, kids today, like, and this is another one, you can see dudes bench 500 pounds. I had never seen anybody bench 500 pounds until I, like, went to college. And I saw Todd Stussy and those guys bench 500. And I was like, holy shit, you can bench 500 pounds and I bench 500 pounds a few years later. But now you see like Larry Wheels and these fucking dudes benching like, you know, 800 yeah. pounds and doing all this crazy shit that didn't exist. But I think the biggest issue and I know for us is like it wasn't a mobility. It was just we were really weak and we didn't necessarily understand. I mean, it looked like a uh, dog shitting a razor blade, knees collapsing and all this. And eventually we just kept doing it and it got better because I think we were fighting to get better. But I don't ever remember them being like, well, just don't squat so deep. Yeah. Or, hey, do, you know, go do a trap bar. It was like, no, you have to fucking do this. And it's going to look like shit. And we're going to make fun of you until it doesn't look shitty anymore. Yeah. And then you're going to get stronger. To your, to what you're out, uh, talking about, because and I've told, like, people this, like, oh, I, like, certain when you work around football enough, you get enough of my, back, my background is primarily in baseball. So, like, O-line, D-line, like I said, like, that is not 
and I generally have the skill positions and whatever. So O-line, D-line, when it starts getting a technique and stuff like that, I have to try and like YouTube and try and figure out, you know, movement type stuff because that's not anywhere in my wheelhouse. Yeah. You know, the, was it uh, Randall McDaniel, the the, yeah. the guard for the, I know the exactly. Vikings? I know you know the picture that I'm talking about where his ankle or his hip was uh, so messed so, up? So Randall McDaniel, his stance, he fucked his knee up. So instead of bending his knee, what he did is he just kicked it out completely straight this way. So it would go out this, and he would just basically internally, internally rotate. rotate like this. Like you can see my leg right here. Internally rotate here, and this is what his stance was. It was absolutely fucking awful looking. And he did it because he had a knee injury, and it was the only way he could get into his stance. He ended up being a pretty decent player. And, uh, but there wasn't a single person that looked and thought, I want a Randall McDaniel stance. And I, and I think that's where, and it's hard, I can understand it's hard for parents and other people to understand or like kind of look at the perspective of that. But he was a 30-year-old NFL high yeah. level. It's like you're taking that concept and applying it to 14, 15 year old kids. Yeah. And it's like, if he didn't have to be in that stance, he, he wouldn't. Would. Yeah. But you know what? You get to the point where you're probably in the middle end of your NFL career and you're going through car crashes every week. Mm -hmm. You have to figure out a way to get on the field. Yeah. And so he did that. But if you start trying to do, make these like shortcuts with 12, 13, 14 year old kids, that's when you start running those like long-term problems. I'll, I'll you, just give you an example, right? So first time I went out to Westside Barbell, uh, Louis Simmons called me up and I went out there for like, it was like, you know, three weeks. And uh, I've always had this, con I mean, dude, it's been the foundation of everything. It's always been this idea of toes forward. Uh, I like in my stance, you know, guys were always duck footed. I always went toes forward, big toe on the ground, knee tracked over my insteps. I was always way more dynamic and explosive if my feet were in the ground and my toes were going forward. So that's how I played. Uh, stayed square, everything. And I go out and I see Louie and uh, we were talking about like uh, squatting heavy and pulling and moving and all this. And I, we brought that up and he's like, 100%. Everybody should squat toes forward. Makes a ton of sense. And he went through the whole thing. I'm like, not a single one of your dudes squat toe forward. They're always toes out. And he goes, well, yeah, they're too fat. <laughs> right? Their bellies are too big. They can't get into position on the flexibility in their hips. These guys are 5'7 with a 45-inch waist. Like, it's just anatomically they can't get into position with toes forward, so they got to go toes out. And I'm like, okay, well, then everybody that does your stuff does toes out. And he goes, no, 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 they've just never listened. <laughs> right? Like, so, like, there's a deal where these guys see it. And they don't realize it's a workaround because these, you know, unique individuals. It's just like a lot of the technique for the NFL. I mean, there were things that guys did. Um, I played with uh, Willie Rofe, who, uh, like, like technique-wise, if I had tried to mimic it, I wouldn't have played a single day, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, there were just things that guys had that were unique skill sets. Um, the problem is, is when you start trying to go out and coach people off of that. And I, I see this constantly with how they're coaching technique. And I'm like, dude. We understand what human movement is, how to stay square, how to move through space, what it looks like. And all you're doing is you're showing me workarounds. This episode of Power Athlete Radio is powered by Train Heroic, the most immersive strength training app experience on the market. We've built our online training business by partnering with Train Heroic and helping us deliver all of our world-class training programs like Jack Street, Field Strong, and Grindstone. To learn which Power Athlete training program best suits your goals, Head to powerathletehq.com slash training. And if you're a coach looking to build a business with the best tech and training, go to trainheroic.co forward slash powerathletehq. Instead of like having one set of technique, it's like the Chinese Olympic weightlifting team. They have one technique and then they just go out and they find weightlifters that fit anatomically perfect with their technique instead of going out and finding good athletes and just forcing them to move through space well in different ways. It's interesting that you bring up the Chinese weightlifting because when I was at Lindenwood, that was, I guess, one of the benefits of being there is like high, high level Olympic lifting uh, in terms of like, so Fernando Reyes, who like placed six at the Olympics, 
Uh, and I think it was like 2016 or whatever. Like I, what I was on a platform next to him, talking to him, seeing how like somebody that can, you know, snatch 200 kilos and clean and jerk 245 or whatever he's done, seeing how they train and the details that go into it. But the, the coach was like Japing Ma, mm -hmm. who was a Chinese oh, yeah. like team or whatever. And it, you want to talk about crazy, like, like some of the stories are just next level, like for what they do in China for weightlifting. Yeah. But like you have a 50 year old guy that like could not do, a, didn't even need to warm up. And he would put like, you know, 140 kilos on the bar and squat it relatively, you know, not astagrass, but you know, like, dude, you should need a lot more time to warm up when you're 50 years old to be able to get into that position. You know what I mean? And it kind of goes back to... Well, they're also Chinese. Exactly. So, so they people, got the phrase, yeah. People of Asian descent are incredible squatters. I mean, it's just like one of those things that we've seen this all the time at seminars we've done. Like, I don't coach, and I know this is funny, but like we've had people come to seminars and if they're Asian, I don't really coach their squat. And I'm like, looks great. And people are like, well, they're not doing this and this. I'm like, ah, dude, like culturally, that's like one of those things. Like, I'm not going to fuck their squat up. And yeah. They're usually always inherently good squatters. I mean, you talk about shallow hip sockets and there's a whole bunch of physiology associated with it, but like, that's also a cultural thing for them. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's kind of one of the things kind of to your point of like the coaching is like, I think that's re what's really, really important from a coaching teaching standpoint is not just having, and I see this across the board from strength and conditioning, but you also kind of like when you work with enough sports, I don't know all the sports, but you kind of like start to pick up whether it's like softball, I've got a baseball background, but like basketball, and you kind of start to see like people that are really good coaches have numerous ways to get a message across or like what they want or like understand that it doesn't have to be a specific, this A to B to C to technique if an individual has a unique kind of skill set that allows them to do certain things. You know what I mean? And that's where like, what uh, you know Mark Clayton, um, receiver Oklahoma uh, played like nine years in the NFL for the Ravens which, yeah, uh, yeah, Jason yeah. White's receiver yes yes yes, yes. so I uh, I got interested like kind of social media he just you know reached out had, kind of was like talking about like how to like kids and we met up one day it was a really good conversation uh, but it was you know training but it was also kind of like NF like you know he had said like you know when you get to the NFL it's not the time to learn the route tree you <laughs> know what I mean like and he's going through like that's why you see a lot of these you know receivers that like might put up big numbers in college but it's like a simple offense. You don't really have to, you don't really learn how to do stuff. You can get by on just being faster than everybody else or whatever. And he was like talking about like, when you're running a slant, it's not, there's like, you got to know how to run against press man, against bail, blah, 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 stuff. I don't even know what you're talking about. He's like, there's like probably about nine to 10 ways to run a slant. Sure. That's, and you know what I mean? Based on what you see. And that's the stuff he's like, dude, if you get to the NFL and you're starting to try to learn that and learn the playbook, you're, that's why you don't, they, it's a year or two and they're gone. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like kind of like the coaching, you, you see, people that can only coach one way and you get individuals that like you got to figure out numerous ways to try and get through sometimes to individuals even at the college level like I've seen guys that are like really really good players but they can't grasp a concept or a system and they're either a backup or they're not putting up the type of numbers that they could because it's just kind of the same you don't really see when you're when you're a strength coach in college and you're out at practice every day for three hours and you're just kind of standing around trying to like look busy kind of like you know what I mean whatever you kind of start just watching a lot of practice you can kind of pick up like we keep doing the same individual drills for like two months. Like this guy is still not struggling with this in the game. You know what I mean? I think that's kind of the challenge, honestly, from a coaching standpoint is when like, if this, if, if you're seeing someone struggling the game, you keep doing the same individual drills for like three months. It's like, are we expecting something different to kind of happen? Well, man, like, um, so what's interesting in football, uh, it's so unnatural in so many ways, at least in terms of offense and defensive line play, right? Like, you know, it's kind of an unnatural deal, but we put so much effort and time into the, like, the basic techniques that you become like a master of like the basics. And I think at least when the young guys would come in and the guys that I saw that would fuck up that I knew that we we're going to make it, uh, my advice to them is like, just be really good at the simple things. Like uh, the ball snapped, I need you to get off on the ball, even maybe a second before, 
take a good first step, head and hands, like the, all the basic shit that they probably teach you in Pop Warner is the same stuff. There's nothing crazy. They're not going to ask you to go out there and like pirouette and backflip over a dude. Remember I told this young guy, I'm like, dude, like you're out there doing anything but the basics, like pad level. It's the same shit that you got told when you were 10 years old. Like bend your knees, move through space well, stop getting up. Uh, don't click your feet together, you know, like when you punch, you know, don't put your hands here so they can get swiped, you know, like, I mean, all of these things uh, just seemed very basic to me. And I came to the point where I just became really good at the basics. And I would just out basic people, mm -hmm. uh, head and hands, step here, I'm not going to do anything crazy. And I played with guys that were extremely gifted, like uh, Will Shields and um, Casey Wigman was really good. And uh, Brian Waters had a bunch of like weird shit he could do. He would actually like if we were going to the right, he would slow let a guy beat him across his face because he had a move where he could actually grab the guy's waist and do this deal and shoot the guy behind him. So he would literally purposely get beat and could like club the dude this way and use his momentum. The first time I saw it, like my heart stopped, <laughs> right? But like there's like something that this dude can do that nobody else. Now, could I do that? No. Mm -hmm. Would I attempt to do it? <laughs> Never in a million years. Will Shields had this deal where he would sit and he would drop his outside hand and give the guy his outside shoulder because he would just kind of bring it around. He called it like a, a elephant trunk. Dude, he gave the guy the corner every time, but he was so athletic he could make it up, and it was like a bait. Mm -hmm. And like I looked at that, and I was like, I, like, I would never do that. You know. So I think what it came down to is like you, you learn the basics, and then you as the individual and the athlete and the skill, and as you progress, you learn that you have a big skill set, and that becomes kind of your wheelhouse. For me, it was um, head and hands. So I could shoot my head and my hands at the same time and use like what I called my forehead as my third hand, and I could actually hit the guy uncoil my hips so I would like shoot my hips with everything could hit the guy continue to move my feet and rebend which very few people can do because it's called lunging mm -hmm. so I could actually lunge hit a dude and actually rebend and not lose position which uh, I even remember offense line coach telling the young guys like don't fucking do this like Johnny's the only dude I've ever seen do this and he can do it if you do this you're going to lose and you're going to be out of here and you're going to get cut so like I had a skill set that like I, I just had my wheelhouse and I knew what I could do and that was kind of my go-to, but I also knew I couldn't teach it to young guys, just like Will with that elephant trunk or Brian with his slap move. So I think what happens, you get to the NFL, everybody's a master of the basics, and then they figure out, it's like boxing. You know, everybody's going to cut a guy off in the ring, they're going to jab, they're going to set up, they're going to have combinations, but then all of a sudden you're going to get a Canelo that knows how to throw those hooks or this or a Mayweather, and then this is what makes these guys the pros and the highest levels. And I think for the, the guys that I saw that really progressed, I mean, we could sit here and you could name players that I played against and I could tell you within a shadow of a doubt, especially defensive players, what their signature move was and what they did better than anybody else. Like whether it be Ray Lewis or uh, um, John Randall. I mean, I played against every one of these dudes. And I mean, uh, Warren Sapp. I mean, shit, he had his matrix move. I mean, they, everybody had, they did the basics. J.J. Watt, I had a good conversation about somebody with him. Uh, but like that's the interesting piece is that these guys have unique skill sets that make them better than everybody else, but that what makes them inherently themselves. Mm -hmm. And so for all the young guys, I'm like, just master the basics until you figure out like what your deal is. And kind of like you talked about, like from like the coaching, the old line coaching that you said gets really frustrating for you of that's like terrible. people, what you just said of like the basics, but like that's kind of what's being lost because yeah. people are just trying to do like, they're, like, they're yeah. looking at Jonathan Ogden and they're trying to coach these 14, 15 year old kids like J.O. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, do you realize he was a six foot eight basketball player that had a mini fro? Exactly. Like, I mean, J.O. was a monster, right? He, he stood straight up and dared people to bull rush him. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, there was like, uh, like that's what, and that's where I think this stuff gets lost, especially in pro football. It's the land of freaks, mm -hmm. like absolute fucking just genetic freaks that have these weird skill sets, long, too long, can do certain things. 
And then the problem is, is that they look at these genetic freaks and then they're trying to actually coach technique off of individuals that are just fucking outliers. And I think that too, like to that point of like, people will see like what Derrick Henry does is like, I don't know, some agility drill or whatever. And there's like a difference between this drill is going to help help you get better at whatever it is, like speed, power, like whatever, or this person just really good and they can kind of do whatever they want, but it's not really they didn't get into that point. You know what I mean? And that's kind of when you're dealing with younger developing or, you know, even at the college level, like how do we get you better, you know, three months, six months, nine months down the line. And I think that's the challenge of like, from the teaching coaching standpoint, like I think strength condition does a really good job of that for the most part, you know, like with the idea of progressions. Okay. We want to do this and let's work to this and work to this and work to this. I think a lot of it applies to skills. You know I mean? To a certain degree as well It's like, okay, we want to work this to this, to this from a skills or whatever, whatever it might be. And if you just start kind of just doing these random like where we where or no, they get way too advanced too soon. Like um, you know the fighters we were working with uh, when they originally came in, we had a game plan. The first day they trained, they were amateurs and beginners. Mm-hmm. So we basically went back to a linear progression, and then for like once the, like six eight weeks, we do basically doing a linear progression. We could get to more advanced training, but I think that you know people get real excited like oh we're going to use triphasic on these fourteen year olds. Yeah, and you're like okay, so you're going to isolate uh, muscle contractions on kids that don't even know how to lift weights. Yeah, like it's it like like I see this all the time where people like um, and this happens to us within our own programming where people look and they see like the gnarliest most advanced shit and they want to use it for these beginners and I constantly tell them like training is like a journey like you have to take the first steps there's a middle part there's an end but like you have to follow the progression if you just hop to the end it's like you know the party's on the road the journey's on the road there's an evolutionary point where you have to take them on this deal where they have to understand and we we get into it even with the guys we've been working with. Um, they're like, Hey, we do, uh, we, we did this a lot in the beginning. Why aren't we doing it now? And I was like, well, we got really good at it. Now we progressed. Why would we keep doing in the beginning where we, it doesn't yeah. make sense. There has to be progression. We have to keep moving. I, I think it's similar. Cause I like using like the school example. Um, cause that's what I work in, but it's like math. Like, okay. Like if you, when you get, you got to learn how to add, subtract, divide, you know, order of operations. And then you start getting into, you know, algebra, you know, pre-algebra calculus, stuff I never took, whatever. But if you want to get to high level mathematics or whatever, you got to get, you got to know how to do that stuff. Like, do you think people that are, you know, at UT, like they're teaching mathematics are going back and doing flashcards? You know what I mean? For like what you were doing, like kind of the same concept. You know what I mean? Of like, we don't, you're not at that point anymore. And have you got, either of you guys read uh, Anders Ericsson's work? Of course. That's he's also power at the radio. Oh, is he really? Okay. Oh, yeah. So like his book, I think is phenomenal. And it really paints that like, you always have to be slightly outside of your comfort zone to keep progressing. So it's like flashcards when you're five years old, that's, that's challenging. You're going to be inconsistent time. But But as you get, you don't do the flashcards. So I, um, this is ironic. You brought it up. So my daughters are 11 and, uh, they did not, the school they went to did not, uh, prioritize rogue memorization of, uh, times tables. So, like, like, I mean, that's what we did. We played, mm-hmm. like, in car, uh, when we were driving in the car, it was, like, five times five. You know, we just had these yeah. whole flashcards, and we played a ton of them. And um, so, like, it doesn't matter what it is. Like, instantly, I have that skill. Enough, you know, and it, it, I'm sure you do it, too. You're like, oh, I'm, gas is four bucks. I got 20 bucks. I guess I'm going to yeah. Right? So, it, like, it works like that. And what was interesting is now they're in, uh, my do- well, one daughter's real sharp, so they tried to, or they skipped them a grade. So, now she's in sixth grade. And they're in math, and the teacher's assuming that they know all their times tables, and they did this, and they just didn't do it because the school they had like was kind of against it. So we had to actually go back and make flashcards over winter break, and that was all we played for like mm-hmm. two weeks. It was just like, basically rogue memorization on like times tables and division. And um, in two weeks, they were fine. Now they yeah. went back to school, and everything's good. Like they have the skill. 
And, uh, and, I, and my wife was kind of like, oh, you know this. I'm like, well, fuck, you have to know this. Yeah. Like, it's just basically like if you're trying to figure out tax on your bill or how much gas you're going to have or if I'm you know, trying tip. to get chewing gum or a tip. I mean, yeah. these are basic skills that you need to live in life. Just like, uh, you know, like, like you were talking about for athletes. Um, they probably need to be able to hinge and squat. They probably need to be able to move on one leg and, you know, move through space and jump and land in a good position. I mean, these are all basic movement skills that I believe everybody should have as an athlete in their, you know, arsenal. Well, yeah, part of our, our education for coaches is social intelligence. And an argument that we present is all sports seasons begin with the fundamentals. So whether it's baseball, lacrosse, football, the fundamentals. And then we want to use the weight room as the opportunity to introduce the fundamentals to the fundamentals. Oh, is that a pun? The lunge, the, the step up. The fundamentals? Uh, well, that's punishment uh. instead of conditioning for punishment. This is punishment. But the, the fundamentals, the fundamentals, because then we aim to arm these coaches with the tools to communicate to sport coaches, hey, this is what we're doing in the weight room. We need more weight room time because we're getting your kids stronger, uh, injury risk reduction, more coordinated, so they're more coachable kids versus all that selfish skill work. Well, this is my um, bias working in. But is that something you've run into? I mean, um, like 20 years ago, you almost had to sell the weight room to people. Um, is it? Not the same today, or is it just the fact that... I think what's really interesting is I think we can look at like the positives and negatives of social media and kind of that stuff. I think it's been a real positive in that aspect of like, I mean, I'm probably probably similar to you guys. Uh, like when I got into this, there was, you know, early kind of 2000s. And it was like, I try and describe to people like what the internet was like before YouTube, before you could embed. So it was like, I would, you would be trying to find strength conditioning. You're like, how do I get better at like you know, baseball, how do I get stronger? How do I, you know, throw harder? How do I get faster? And it was like, you would have to go on message boards and try and like read stuff from someone. You have no idea who this person is, but you couldn't even embed videos. So like, I, I've got this example of like, I was, I think it was like the bodybuilding.com message boards. And it was like, which, this, is, which was really the only fucking, yeah, that was like, the, that was your only source. Um, so it was like, this guy was describing, like, I did this one exercise for seven or like seven weeks, eight weeks or whatever. And I went from throwing 77 to 92. And he's like describing it. So you're trying to like, what is this exercise that I need to be doing? And you're like trying to like picture it, but you can't see a video. And looking back, it was a basic like dumbbell single arm, like incline row. You know what I mean? Like chest supported row or whatever. Now to that point, what I just described, like, okay, did that exercise really, I, and you better believe I was doing that like three or four times a week. You know what I mean? Like, As you should. Yeah. So like you think like, was it that exercise? Or maybe he grew four inches yeah. and like he put on 50 pounds or like whatever. But that's part of the learning experience, I think as a teacher, coach or whatever, of like being able to put yourself in that, vantage point of like how you would look at something and then look at kids. How are you taking the words or the, the stuff that's coming out of my mouth? How is that going through your head? And I think that's kind of like you go from like, you, I remember when I found Elite FTS, T Nation, you know what I mean? Like where I was, it's like, oh man, you open your, your eyes, start opening up to like all this other stuff. But kind of going back to that, you start learning like, okay, how do I even type words into Google to try and find information about what I want? You know what I mean? Like if you just type in speed back like 18, 19 years ago, okay, you're going to find, you know, like whatever. So it was like trying to use back then search engine, how do I get actual articles sure. to find that stuff? So I think with that, like kids, it's, it's really interesting because kids, I had a, a seventh grader that was, uh, he told me he's like, like, he benches in his garage. Like we don't do it with our junior high mainly because if you ever had like 50 kids with 10 racks, someone's going to drop a bar on their neck, yeah. like, like 
get out, get out, say like, I get it. So we don't bench. Uh, and people would be like, well, why don't you don't believe in benching 12 year olds? I'm like, no, I don't believe in a kid dropping a bar in their neck. And now the parent calls the school and like, I don't want my kid and we can't even do lifting anymore. So you know what? Pushups and pushups. Most kids are not good at pushups, even for doing them a couple years. So we, that's what we do. Just floor Uh, pass. Yeah. 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 Uh, so like, anyway, he's like, I bench like, oh, what's your max? He's like, I can do, uh, you know, 115. Uh, my best set of five is like 115 for five or one. I can't remember what it was. And I'm like, oh, like what program are you on? He's like, oh, I'm on this new program. It's called progressive overload. And I'm like, okay, like okay. And now, now you got me a tree. Like tell me in your, what's progressive overload. And he's like, basically you just try and add like five pounds every week to what you're doing or you add a rep. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's right. Like that's, that's you're, basic strength training. You're, you're 13. Like, I don't think I learned that till like after college going uh, through like, like two weeks ago. Yeah, I just picked yeah. that one up. So I'm like, that like that's a 13 year old yeah. that like is talking about progressive overload it's like interesting it's, like even i'm not even talking boys like because i train a lot of people think it's just boys like no girls like everybody goes through everything that we do like i was in the weight room with our uh i think it was our eighth grade girls and like they're real like we've got eighth grade girls that like can freehand front squat and olympic style completely like a couple of them that can do 85 pounds for like a set of three or four with like a pause in the bottom free i'm like dude i've been in co- we had guys when i got to college that like that was a they were, they were sweating, could not do that. And you got 13, 14 year old girls doing that. But like one of the girls, like, you know, we were like getting ready for the workout and she just grabbed the bar, light training bar and she started doing jerks. And I'm like, and she's like, oh, I just, I saw this uh, on Instagram for like, you know, speed and power, like whatever. I'm like, these kids are seeing, you know what I mean? And the challenge is like, they're exposed to a lot of stuff, yeah. but they're seeing, you know, if they're finding good information, they're seeing that stuff and they're a lot more, yeah, sad. you know, you know what I mean? Like smarter, intelligent, like, just, just pe- sad. like, so, uh, um, not to one up that, but I'll take you back even farther. I was a senior in high school, graduate high school, in 94, I'm a date myself, 1993. I went to the library and checked out a book on speed because I was trying to run faster. And I read some guy's book about downhill running. Okay. And you had to find like a two to three percent grade, but I didn't know what the fuck two per three two to three percent grade. So I drove around our neighborhood looking for some like moderate grade because I figured like two percent was like pretty like not very steep, and uh, ended up finding this hill and went out there and was basically trying to run down it as fast as I can. And like I remember my buddies drove by and like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to get faster. <laughs> And uh, it was like you had to read a book or you had to call somebody on the phone. So, like, it's, um, you know, it's just, it, yeah, it's super amazing. And I'm stoked that these kids have all these well, opportunities. To toot your horn, Joey, you got one of the best Instagrams from a coaching Dude, your Instagram's pretty dope, dude. He sent it to me yeah. and I was clicking through and I was like, this is pretty fucking good. Appreciate it. So, did the kids just wait until the day you post them? Is this motivation to be strong and awesome mover so you can get on Coach Joey's Instagram? Uh, I mean, I'll be honest, like with the high school, we don't really like talk about it. Um, like whatever I will, I will say, like, I didn't know, like even at college, like, uh, it was mainly like our soccer. Cause I trained, uh, like assist with football, but then I trained our women's soccer and softball team at Utah state. And I would get like, like our softball coach. I remember telling or like kind of telling me, he's like, yeah, when like they get posted, like their squad or whatever, it's like, like a, a sense of accomplishment because they're, I mean, not whatever. Um, but it's like, okay, Joey has really high standards. So it's like, if he's, says this is good, then it's like, oh, this is, you know what I mean? Like good or whatever. So like, it was kind of interesting hearing that perspective from that of like the positive, you know, uh, encouragement. I think one of the things that is helpful too, because a lot of people now too, I think, uh, you know, people see that stuff and I get like a lot of parents and other, like I was just telling you about like some uh, like athletic directors, like in other schools are kind of like inquiring about how to like get this, you know what I mean? At their school and their program. So I think that's one of the nice things about seeing that stuff of like, and again, I, tr- I really try and it's not just for football. You know what I mean? Or it's not just for baseball. It's not like whatever. This is like everybody. Like, you know, uh, I, one of the things I'm really proud of is like in the summers we do our, uh, our like junior high kids. 
incoming seventh and eighth graders, they're the first ones that go. So at eight o'clock in the morning. So like I tell the kids, like, dude, when I was your age, I was sleeping until like 10 a.m. You know what I mean? At 13 years old, I wasn't in, like, they're in there, they're working hard, boys and girls, they're running around, they're doing stuff detail oriented. I'm like, I just like, I don't like, I don't give out compliments just because, but like, I'm, you guys, I'm, you guys do a really good job. Like, this is not, this is not easy. There's not a lot of kids doing this. Like when we start the school year and the challenge, cause we have two junior highs and I'm at the high school. It's like, I can't be in three places at once. Our schedule's like, so when I can, I try and get over to like one, one day a week or something like that. But like, we'll have our football, like seventh grade football, mm-hmm. two days a week. We'll lift it six. What do we start? 6.45 a.m. They'll lift for 30 minutes and they'll go out to football practice because it's like their first period. Volleyball will come in at 7.30 when, or 7.15 or 7.30 whenever they're done and then they'll go to volleyball practice. So I'm like, this is not like, wait, being here in the gym when you're 13 years old, that's, there's not a lot of kids that are doing that. And it's not like they're just, they're, I'm like, you might see a couple yawns or whatever, but I'm like, they're focused, they're locked in. Like I'm seeing this like year round. Like, and I think it's one of the things like you hear people and I'm not disagreeing with this about like the later start times or whatever. I'm like, these kids... Like I'm seeing like they, like they are locked in and focused at 6.45, 7 o'clock in the morning. Now, I think one of the nice things that, you know, hopefully eventually someday with standardized testing, it gives you this opportunity. But like, I'd be curious to see test scores. Okay, I take a test right after I get done with practice, strength and conditioning in the morning. Because we know that the, 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 the effect neuroscience-wise on the brain with activity from BDNF release to, you know, focus and stuff like that after exercise. And we all can relate. Like you go work out in the morning. It's like, man, I just feel more refreshed compared to like you wait to like do it at seven o'clock at night when you're kind of beat down and like whatever. There's actually a book on this and I cannot remember the, the, the title off the top of my head, but it was performed in Naperville, Illinois. Oh yeah. And they would instantly discredit everything that comes out of Naperville. Well, (laughs) they took the, the trouble kids and they had them, basically do PE first period. So they arranged it. Okay, these are problem kids. You got PE first period. And then that led into class. And then they tested the standardized test scores and then found that movement exercise before. And they also integrated like a social intelligence and taught square dancing to the kids. So then like you have to go up and ask a girl to dance and uh, help, you know, create positive relationships between boys and girls. And so then... We had a friend and coworker that actually went through this, and the book names the coaches and oh, teachers wow. in it. And he's like, "Man, fuck, like, fuck that guy," because <laughs> he was getting a hard time from these people. But so it's, uh, I'll, I'll give you the book afterwards. I can't think of it right now, but like, it, it's been researched, it's done, and then it's like basically in your backyard. But it's, uh, it's there. Yeah, and I, and I think like I, I've got kids that like we've got a couple like it, it's. I wish I could do it more, but like even some of our eighth graders because of the schedule, like they want to come and still get like more speed. You know what I mean? Like they want to get more stuff done. And it's like, so uh, a couple days a week, like right a couple weeks before Christmas, I got to get the schedule figured out now that we're starting up. But they were coming in at like 6.30 a.m. for like 45 minutes. So this like, cause we don't really get a lot of that. Cause we got 50 kids. You got, we might just have the hallway in your middle school to get our stuff done. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to get like kind of that, some intricate details. And that's why I like when you have smaller groups, you can really, focus on those areas, but they're coming in at 6.30, then they, their parents will pick them up and they go to junior high. It's like, wow. that's, 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 I'm, I'm real like, that's, that is impressive. Like, I, I'm not- It's gotta and, be social media. I mean, so like, um, like our strength conditioning in high school was so bad uh, that I, um, like, um, I got, I, I was telling you, I was talking to Mike Silvers, we were going back and forth on Twitter. Um, I was pretty amazed at the NFL when they canceled the game the other night, decided just to scrap it and not play the game. Like, they're just like, it's, like, we're not going to reboot it. So when I played, uh, we had nine, obviously 9-11. We didn't play that Sunday. 
And the owners basically fucking threatened us to take our money. They were fucking irate. And they finally agreed to give us our money if we played the game at the end of the year. And they were like, we can't not fucking play a game. We have, I mean, there, it was all a money issue. Mm-hmm. And it was super ugly. But um, the social media like really hadn't started. And the NFL and the teams controlled the narrative through the media. Now there's all these different optics. So I think what happened, why they canceled it, was because you know the players have social media. There's all these different optics in the NFL, and the teams can't control it the way they used to, and they just look fucking really bad. And so now they did the right thing, and it's amazing that social media and all this transparency has given rise to like really just not being a fucking shitbag, what the NFL was forever. And uh, I think what happened now, especially with social media and a lot of this stuff, there's just a lot more clarity. Whereas a strength coach, or more importantly, a program, you can't necessarily have a bad fucking shit like like our, our coach's idea of speed work we go out and run 16 220s yeah. so walk a 220 run a 220 and we did that 16 220s which ends up being what like four fucking miles yeah and that was our idea of speed work right like it was at like like i wish i did it, you have trouble putting weight on in the off season uh, for football no what i did is uh i joined the track team okay so uh i like pretty much like realized that i wasn't going to get faster and i wasn't going to get better that this guy was a fucking idiot and I even realized this because um, I trained with this old power lifter, a uh, guy named George Angus. And so uh, he was on the, the strength co- or the football coach and strength coach were already pissed at me that I, I was training because I, I trained with them. But I also went and trained with this guy. I and mean, we trained multiple times a day. Right. Mm-hmm. And there was like a weird kind of rivalry because uh, we had multiple high schools, say close if we went to one high school. And I was from one high school. And then the high school we went to, the head coach was from the other kind of rival. So it was just kind of a bad, like, you know, toxic environment from day one. But uh, this, the, the program was awful. And, I mean, that was her idea of speed work. So I knew I needed to be faster. I was already kind of, you know, strong. So I joined the track team. And I told the coach, uh, the coach, I wanted to run the 110 hurdles. And uh, he's like, okay, well, you can train to run the 110 hurdles and you can run it. But you have to throw the shot in the disc for us. And I was like, done. So I, I throw the shot in disc. And then I would go over and, like, run the hurdles. I gotcha. And so that was how I got out of, like, doing this absolute dog shit. Yeah. And uh, the, uh, the football coach was forever pissed at me. And they, like, you know, you, you know, basically mad at me all the time. But it wasn't like I wasn't going to play because I was the best player. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was almost one of those things where I almost wonder if there was social media and, like, you know, people could have put a spotlight in, like, we were talking about shame. Like, as a strength coach or, more importantly, like a football program, like, there's nowhere to hide if you're shitty now. Yeah. Like, people are going to call you out. They're going to put optics on it. And, like, people know what's good and bad. I think, like, to that point, the parents, like, they're still, you're still, you kind of run into it, I think, a little bit in terms of knowledge. But, like, parents, I think, are starting to get much more knowledgeable about, like, wait, what do we do? Like, I see on YouTube, or I see this is what this, co- like, co- whether it's college or high school or whatever, but, like, they have a better grasp. Like, I've got kids. It's actually interesting. Some of, like, the parents, and, like, you would think, It'd be an issue, but like, uh, you know, certain strength conditioning programs that they've done or like whatever in college, good, bad, or indifferent, but they have a better perspective on some of this stuff. So like they, you just get like squatting. Like I don't really deal, like I don't deal with, I'll be honest, a lot of parents are like, we got a quarter squat or, you know, whatever, like they, there's not, you know, that kind of blowback where it's like even, you know, 10 years ago, it's like your knees, you still deal with it because I still get these comments, you know, sporadically or whatever. Knees shouldn't go over the toe, like this and that and whatever. You shouldn't go below night or whatever. But I think compared to when I, because I I always tell people like, I remember reading in books, like your knees should not go over your toes. So when I would do, do not go your knees over your toes, you kind of start learning. If my feet go out wider and I just get to parallel, I can squat more weight. And so like for me, that was like, boom, boom, boom. I got really like for two years, all I cared about was my five rep max on back squat. So it was like, 
Yeah. Whatever. What else are you going to care about? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Girls or anything like that. It doesn't matter. Five yeah. rep max. Five or max y. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, now when I look, I tell kids, I'm like, when I'm demo, demoing like something that requires dorsiflexion, mine's horrible. Like, and I tell them like, this is what I was doing when you're age. So like, not just from a training, whatever standpoint, like you should be able to be 60, 70 years old and still be able to function and move. And like, I think this kind of holistically goes into the movement kind of idea. If you've ever been hurt and like, you, I'm, all of us like to train or, you know, you know what I mean? Like stay active when you're hurt or like, I can't move. How much does your quality of life decrease when you can't go out and just play pickup basketball? Or I can't go for a walk or my ankle's killing me right now and I can't do this. Your quality of life dra- drastically decreases. So when you look at like, and I see this, if it takes you like three minutes to bend down and tie your shoes because your back hurts at 50 years old, what do you think it's going to be like in 10 years? Is it going to get better? No, and I think that's one of the things, if you can good. keep that movement, keep joint health, your quality of life to hopefully when you're 70, 80 years old is going to be significantly better. So that's kind of one of the things like long-term, at least in my kind of view on the movement side of I want your quality and your happiness in life is going to be so much better if we just keep your ankles, hips, shoulders moving like they do when you're 12 years old. Well, I mean, uh, and you don't have to argue with parents. Like nobody's coming in like, uh, fuck, I remember when I went to college, we always squatted, um, you know, real deep below parallel. And when I went to college, the first time I squatted, the, uh, the trainer went and got our orthopedic surgeon who came in and told me, that I shouldn't squat below parallel. And if I was going to squat below parallel, they were going to put something underneath me to prevent me because they wanted oh. to try to save my knees. Wow. And like, and I really, what was crazy, and I think back about now, is uh, I don't think they teach weightlifting to orthopedic surgeons. And the guy sure didn't look like he fucking lifted weights. And like, uh, like I'd never had, it just, it's so stupid, dude. I mean, but like, you don't have to argue now. Like, I, I don't know any person, at least on social media, it's like, God, that quarter squat looks amazing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Well, you get an awesome. Do you remember quarter squat gang? Do you remember that Instagram page? Does it still exist? No, they they banned them. But they used to have this this uh, Instagram page called the Quarter Squat Gang, and they, they would just post videos of people doing these fucking awful squats. I remember that. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. And they would just land base these people. It they pretty much got just banned. Like R.I.P. Uh, oh, it, it was great. It, well, it, because it was um, it just turned the fucking lens of truth on people. And it's a hard pill to swallow when you see yourself being that ridiculous. If I remember right, too, because they would go after, like, some big, bigger name college pro. You know what I yeah. mean? So it's like yeah. your favorite college program is on, like, whatever. Yeah. It kind of looks negative. Kind of like that shit. You know what I mean? It's like, ooh, this doesn't really look good on our... Well, but uh, you've seen... I mean, I've seen major Division One schools put out some fucking social media clips where I'm like, oh, fuck, don't put that out. Yeah. Like, that looks absolute dog shit. Or they'll shoot it real high to where you can't see, like... The depth. The yeah. depth. And yeah, I'm like, and you see a... the kid's head only move four inches. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. And hurt 600 pounder. Oh, <laughs> the strength coach spotting him. Yeah, and the uh, that's the exact angle. Yeah, we get an awesome opportunity to see the range of athletes that you work with through your social media lens. What I'm interested in, and we spoke a little bit about this when applying the wrong program at the inappropriate time, it messes athletes up long term. So speak to us like a 10,000 foot view of the picture perfect life cycle of an athlete from the middle school to the high school, hopefully some good college and, you know, whether it's good relationship with fitness and living a good life or professional athlete. Um, so I would say foundationally, it starts with the movement. So keeping the joint capacity from the, sh- the shoulders, hips, ankles, honestly, there's like more uh, spinal segmentation, articulation stuff that I think is really valuable, but it's really, cause you have to be in depth and teach that like kind of, uh, you know, one-on-one. And it's kind of like you're in, there's, it's, it's one of those things that you learn. Like if you work with one or two people, it's all right. If you work, do that with like 60, 
15 year olds, everybody's like, oh, this is stupid. I feel stupid. And now everyone's messing around. It's like, okay, this is still, this is good, but we can't do it. So anyway, it starts with joint across the board and then training through a full range of motion. I think when you look at the lifespan of, of the training process, right? A lot of people, I think, make the mistake of trying to go too fast. And it's like, this is a process. It's slow, right? We don't know exactly where we're going to get to, but here's the, here's the roadmap. Now we might have to deviate, go a little bit here, here, there, or whatever, but this is the process. And it's amazing how much progress can be made in like a six month year period when you're focused long-term, if that makes sense. Like when you just look, it's like, okay, it might not look like we made much progress this week to next week, but when you stack all those weeks together, the small micro improvements, and it's like, oh my gosh, like I've got the video. And that's why I like having some of the kids, like I've got a video from like when you were like, you know, just starting seventh grade to when you're a freshman, it's like you were about ready to fail on a barbell. And now you're doing that with like 225 on like a front squat as like a 15 year old kid. You know what I mean? Like whatever. It's like, mm -hmm. there wasn't some magic. Like we just kind of be consistent, work hard, just get better and better. And that's how improvement happens. Um, so when we look at training through a full range of motion, that's really important. I think one of the biggest things that's probably changed a lot for me, honestly, the last couple of years um, is the importance of kind of looking at like from a speed power, um, standpoint of, and this is kind of one of the things I think it's gotten better. Like we talked about with social media, but I think one of the things that a lot of people kind of revert back to what they did 30 or 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I've got to squat 500 pounds, or I just got to squat 600 pounds if I'm a receiver and like kind of taking a step back, we'll take the football example. The best five or 600 pound receiver squat. Really? Quarter squat game, bro. Yeah. I fuck dude. I, and, I, I, I've never, I mean, and dude, you, you might've seen more people. I've never seen a receiver or uh, like squat near 500. Pounds. Yeah. And I think that, but that's what like, you'll hear story, like whatever about like some high school or like whatever. And it's like looking at what makes certain positions like, or individuals really good. It's their ability. If they can't run, move, do that other stuff. Um, especially with the way the game, like football is played on the perimeter now, like that's kind of like the big, how well you can move. So kind of like looking back is like, how do we keep developing the individual? And I think that's kind of like looking at, and I try and tell like our coaches, like our junior high, you might have 20 minutes because of something that happened that day. I would rather you do the skips, the jumps, the speech stuff that we're doing in the hallway, than go and do the weight room stuff. And it's not saying strength. I'm not trying to be like that individual that like don't do any lifting or whatever, but it's strength. It just takes time, but we can build that. Yeah. If you get to the point where you're 17 years old and you're not very fast, we can't really go back. Like you're kind of like putting that yeah. ceiling on you. Skipping same arm, same leg. Yeah. So it's, so yeah. it's like that, 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 that reactivity. And that's one of the things that I, I see a lot with like, it, it's, you have a lot less body weight on kids. So, but I see like when we do pogos and other stuff, I'm like, man, I'm seeing really good reactivity with 12 or 13 year olds. And then I'll kind of look at not the same kids, but like I'll work with the high school kids that like kind of before we started doing this stuff. And it's like, where did that kind of go? Like, I don't think these are kids are outliers because it's not like they're phenomenal athletes, but they had good reactivity. And then in two or three years, do you, do you think it's because they went to too much barbell based training too quickly? Um, I think it could be that, or I think it could just be like, we weren't really doing a whole lot of like the re like the skips, the jumps, the speed, like actual sprinting, like that type of stuff. So I think meshing those together and then keep going through that process, if that makes sense. But kind of like one of the first things, if you got 30 minutes, you're going to be like, okay, let's get our squat. Let's or like whatever. And it's like, okay, if we're not really getting the skips, the jumps, the other stuff, cause kids aren't playing multiple sports, you know what I mean? You're not going yeah. to the park and just playing basketball or baseball or whatever. That I think that's kind of where that stuff's getting lost. And it doesn't have to be even that much, like 15 or 20 minutes of just skips, jumps, now go lift for 20 minutes. And that's a good training session for a 12, 13 year olds. But I think that's kind of one of the things that my perspective has changed on that. So like, and the other thing too, is like, when you look at it from a time standpoint, when you're 12 or 13 years old, you don't need to do five sets of squats to get stronger. Like two or three sets and you're like, okay, that was a good, you're, you're gonna be sore for probably a week. You know what I mean? Soreness isn't obviously the, 
the specific outcome that you're looking for, but it's kind of giving you a good tell. Like you don't need, if I don't need to do five sets, five on squats, why would I do that and waste 10 minutes of what I could be doing on something like, you know, some type of like, well, you're talking just, about economy of time. Like yeah. This, this is something we run into on, on everybody's training program. Like, uh, especially even the warmups, like how much time do I have available? What's the quality of work? So for me, I would like, um, and dude, uh, I don't know if you saw a guy posted a three day version of Jack street, um, on the, basically what he did is he took a six day program and he convinced it into three and said, what do you think? And I, I counted, there were 34 sets, working sets on one single day. Oh, dang. And I looked at it and I was like, first of all, um, I'd ask how old you are, how strong you are, and how much time do you have to train? Because uh, if you squat over 200 pounds, uh, that's 34 working sets of these different movements. That's going to take me close to two and a half to three hours to execute. Um, uh, you know, if, you, if your max squat's 135 pounds, then it obviously would be less. But I was like, all right. Like the quality of work would be so low at the backside with all of this volume that this is a complete fucking wasted training day. Yeah. And I realized that uh, in that moment, this is ironic, you said it, like people don't understand economy of training, that the amount of quality work done. Um, and then that was actually Tom Newman, a nice comment when I wrapped with him yesterday, is uh, people that aren't strong think that they can somehow get stronger by just adding in shit volume. That they think that somehow it's like the band-aid fix. Like, I'm not very strong. I'm just going to do a whole bunch of extra stuff I hope will do. Yeah. And not realizing that it's actually the heavier quality work that drives adaptation, not just like a whole bunch of like junk stuff on the bottom end. And I think that's what like, I think bodybuilding gets a bad rap. But I'll be honest, like bodybuilders, and this kind of goes, like one of the things I'm really big on is focus. And there's kind of numerous areas. But like, when you listen, you know Ben Pakulski? Oh, yeah, yeah. Real well. I, I love, I love, he's probably one of the smart, I, I just love his he theory is, uh, on training. He's very smart. And man. like, you hear him talk about, and this is kind of one of the things like. He's look, a mind-muscle connection. Um, mm -hmm. Ben P, he's down in Tampa. He's a Canadian. He's buddies with Woodski. He was on the bigger, I think it was the bigger, faster, the demo that you look at the guy that's doing all the science stuff. And it's like, who's that guy that's doing all the weird bodybuilding? And he's got like all his like blood work and all the other stuff. But uh, side note, and it relates to this, like when, it, when, you, when I was younger, you like look at like, what supplements do I want to buy? And you, you don't have money or whatever. And be like, if it's advertising something about like, you know, the ridiculous claims, like fast twitch. Do you remember that pre-workout? No. So it was, I can't remember who made it, but okay. I know fast twitch is good. Fast twitch fibers are good. This pre-workout must ha help me like become more fast twitch. Great name. I, I bought it. Like, whatever. They're the talking ones, about the, the, ones, like, the, twerk, the tweaks it, that you get from the, taking it, the workout. The ones, the, ones, the ones that was like, improve focus is like the first thing. Like, okay, next. I don't care about that in my pre-workout. Taking a step back now and I listen to Ben and like whatever about the importance of like to have high intensity work. Yeah. You've got to have a level of focus yeah. there of like, hey, I've got a heavy double on back squats or like whatever. You can't have a side conversation and then go get into the squat rack. Like a, a level of focus. And we've all kind of been there when you're like mine somewhere else. Your training session is probably not very good, yeah. but it's like those ones where it's like, dude, I'm completely locked in to this moment right now. That's when you can drive that real intense intensity that you need to make that progress to get stronger, whatever it is. So like, I really like Ben and kind of like that bodybuilding, kind of like that mind muscle connection. Of did, did you ever see Dorian Yates's blood and guts videos? I didn't. So uh, my roommate in college uh, showed up with a couple um, after we moved out. I, I lived with this dude who's kind of a shitbag my freshman year. But uh, I lived with this guy, Kevin Doherty, and he had these uh, Westside Barbell bench videos. And he had another videotape that was called Blood and Guts, and it was Dorian Yates. Um, they filmed a training video of Dorian Yates preparing for the Olympia, and he was like in Birmingham, England, and trained in a dungeon. And the level of intensity, he was a Mike Metzler guy. Um, not Mike Metzler trained him, but kind of that yeah. like one set to failure. So he would literally go all out to failure and then it was force reps and like it was just one set to failure. Now he would take four or five sets to get up there, but it was one all at set, complete fucking utter mechanical failure, tension, the whole deal. And the level of intensity in which they were training is like 
scary to watch. And I remember we watched the video and I was like, oh, fuck. Like, this is the level of intensity that you need. And then there was also another thing, which I didn't necessarily figure out until I watched that, which is like, you know, for example, like the coach is like, hey, I want you to do three sets, 10 lap pull downs. So we put weight on and do like three sets, 10 lap pull downs. I didn't realize that like three sets of 10 meant like if you can do 11, it wasn't heavy enough. Like, and so then it became like, oh, like I should be like fighting for my last rep on number 10. If I can get 11, I'll get 11. If I can get 12, then I'll just add more weight till I get those numbers. Like that's what that video taught me and completely altered my entire training and pretty much everything that we've ever put out ever since. And has always been based on rep maxes and working up to like a final set because of that. And like, you know, if you look at physiology, like muscle soreness does nothing for hypertrophy. So, I mean, like uh, muscle damage, I mean, the really only two things that drive hypertrophy is going to be like mechanical failure and tension. Mm-hmm. So you got to create tension and you got to go close to failure. And I think that's the struggle of like, if you would look at that program, most people have no idea, like to get to that level yeah. is not anywhere. They'd be like, do 10, like on, on what's supposed to be your top 10 rep max. And it's like, you could have done another three or four reps. Yeah. So like, you're well, not that, getting the stimulant. You would need to do another three sets probably yeah. to get a, a, a comparable yeah. with that. And that's kind of one of the... Well, it's because people don't know how to push. And, and, and like, this is the thing I get into uh, on our programs that people constantly ask me on like perceived rate of exertion. You know, they're always like, well, what's the RPE on this? Uh, and I'm like, like, ah, like, that's a hard one for me because have you ever really truly trained a failure? Like if I know, like uh, if, if I'm telling you to leave two in the tank, right. And like, that's my favorite, like, Hey, you know, uh, leave a couple reps in the tank or leave some on the platform at the end of the day. Like, okay. Um, I left two. Could, is it really three or four? Mm-hmm. So like you have to overreach and I know, Hey, if I could get like 500 for 10, um, you know, and that's like me fucking dying on the sword and like, you know, like a fucking, I'm probably going to have to go home and take a nap. Like, is that a 10 or is it just like a heavy set of five ten? So, like, that's the issue I run into with that. And I've always tell people, like, hey, I need you to work up to a heavy five. Uh, what's a heavy five? Well, if you can get six, it wasn't a heavy five. Yeah. If you give me four and a half, then we were pretty damn close. But if you get six or seven, it wasn't five. Mm-hmm. And if, what happens if I get six or seven? Then go back, put more weight on and try to give me five heavy reps. I, and I think it kind of goes, we, we, training has gotten so much better. But we've all probably been in those, like, I remember I went to, I played junior college baseball. So, like, I remember, like, our, our uh, my coach it was like we were in the off season we were in at like 6 a.m just running suicides like basketball and it's like this has nothing to do with baseball he even said like this is about toughness and like whatever and you look now and a lot of that stuff's probably going to be demonized you know what i mean because it's pointless or whatever not disagreeing physiologically but like that and other stuff you kind of learn like 15 20 years ago like older individuals that really like that's your frame of reference and i still remember some of those mornings when it was like dude i like we were throwing up yeah. in the hallway and that so like when you look at art like what was really hard if you've never kind of experienced anything even remotely because everything's been perfect kind of like the i wouldn't say the ivan drago but you know what i mean everything's been sight like this is perfect whatever you never kind of start like man that just really like I, we had to do 16 cross courts in under like three minutes or whatever and if you didn't well, you, then we got it doubled so well, like you know what fucking changed that um, you know, because they, they used to do that shit in, in college football all the time. You know, we, we did it. We did the metabolic conditioning cycles. And when we did the Husker power deal, we didn't do a baby Husker. We just jumped into three. They didn't, and like literally day one, three sets, didn't give us anything and trash cans because they want people to fucking die and puke. Um, then all of a sudden, what was it? It was, God, what year was that? 2012 when all of a sudden... Uh, was it Oregon? That was, no, I think Iowa. it was Iowa. Because oh. I remember I was in my exercise science class was, when I yeah. read that. And, and, and what's <laughs> 10, funny is... 10, 11, 12, yeah. Yeah, but then when they posted the workout, we actually went in the gym and did it. It was like 50, it was like what, 50 back squats at 225 and like two, power, two prowler pushes? 
So we programmed that on CrossFit Football and we programmed in our gym and people were fucking lambasting these people. And I got on there and I was like, ah, my wife did it. It wasn't hard. It's just the fact that these kids were so physically out of shape because they came off of winter conditioning. They hadn't been training. They were probably, you know, maybe they had a night out drinking. So like you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. At some point, you got to put some emphasis on the kids and realize if I'm going to show up, I have to be fucking ready for the task and something has to be put on me for me to be able to be in good enough shape to protect myself. It's like walking out on an NFL field, um, you know, like uh, people are going to get hurt, right? If I'm not in good shape or I'm hurt or I'm not strong and something bad happens to me, I'm like, fuck, I got to be strong enough to protect myself. You know, bad shit happens, but like you got to also be like, you can't be complicit in this thing. And I think, I think you'll like this because this is, and I tell, I've told this story to my high, like this is seeing their career play out right now. There's no one more deserving of this. You know, Terrence Steele, uh, who's that? Cowboys tackle. Oh, um, just yeah. toy, yeah, but yeah, undrafted, yeah. and it started like thirty games, like the last two years yeah, for the Cowboys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got, I've literally got the pictures of him. This was back when coming into his senior year in February, right? Six a.m. lift. He's there. At, I've got a picture of him at five forty-six a.m. in the weight room by himself doing this ankle dorsi, like the stuff that we told, like this is what you need to work on. I've got another picture on another day of him at five forty-four, sixteen minutes before a lift in his 90-90 doing his hip stuff. How many people, like, and I say, like, this is the level of, like, he's 6'6", he's really good, but that's how you go from being an undrafted free agent to starting as a rookie and being, right now, probably one of the best tackles in the NFL in a, in a short amount of time. And it's like, I, I, I never saw him come into the way. He, get his card, he was sprinting to his, his rat. Like, you never saw him, uh, like, whatever. He did everything like that, 100%. You told him to do something, he's in there 15, 20 minutes. How many people are going to come in at 30 minutes or 20 minutes before a lift? and do the little things they need to do to have a good training session that day. You know what I mean? And that's like, you look at like, some people are really talented and really good. That's like the little things. And like, that's where like, what are you doing? And I like, dude, if you just woke up 10 minutes ago and you come to a training session, it could be the best periodization in the world. Like, I don't know what, like, you really did not, what did you invest into that training session to have a high quality training session? And you start out lifting, you can kind of do whatever and you're still gonna see progress. You get to that point where there's all these other factors that you gotta be dialed in on this stuff. If you wanna keep making progress for five, six, seven, ten 10 plus years and whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. That's cool, you got an example now to utilize and show your future athletes. Well, it also goes to show that fucking the little things become, you know, all of a sudden you're limiting factors. I mean, it's, uh, I think people are so focused on like, oh, the big pieces, but like, you know, shit, like you said, like ankle mobility, especially in an offensive lineman, is a huge factor, especially if you look like the way guys are. I mean, I'm, I'm with you, dude. Um, I remember people saying like, you shouldn't get your knees over your toes, but I also remember that when I bent in my stance as my shin came forward and my knee got over my toe, I was dramatically stronger. And every time you sprint, your knee goes yeah. over your toe. So how the fuck are you supposed to like, like if you didn't sprint with your knees over your toes, you look like a drum major, which is ridiculous. So like all this physiology shit, like, uh, and then also uh, my strength coach in college after they fired the guy was a guy named Todd Rice. And we were pure Olympic lifting, only shoes. And it was like, I had pretty bad um, patellar tendonitis from an ACL reconstruction. Um, he comes in, we go in only shoes and it was like positive shin angle and everything, Olympic lifting within like probably two, three months time. I never had any tendonitis. Mm -hmm. again. The knees got strong, everything. And he's like, yeah, you, how are you going to strengthen your tendon if you don't get your knee over your toe? Yeah. Positive shin angle. So, um, I think the issue came is a whole bunch of people that never lifted weights didn't know shit about performance and training and didn't really understand about anatomy. were making a whole bunch of decisions with the docs and the trainers. And Chris knows that's why I have a general dislike of ATCs and fucking doctors because I got, every time I would deal with them, they'd always get bad fucking information because they didn't train and they didn't know what the fuck they were talking about. So we've taken it upon ourselves to educate those guys at how to lift weights 
and try to virally fucking help those that, that are interested. Yeah. And willing to learn. Well, I mean, most ankle tapers just want to fucking do heel locks, which is another issue I run into because you fucking lock my ankle in this position and now I lose all my fucking mobility. Yeah. And that was another thing. So I used to, I used to get my ankles taped like three, three hours ahead of time. And then I would take water and squirt them in and try to loosen the shit out of them because yeah. we get fined without it. But yeah, so. that's what I've heard a lot of stories. You know what I mean? And it makes sense. It's kind of like you guys do a lot with jujitsu guys. And, and like you, like I've, I've uh, I did a long time ago, not like at any high level or whatever, but you start like real, like when you start getting your joints like yanked on, it's like, oh man, like you know, a Khmer or something like that. It's like, man, like on my right arm, because I played baseball, I had more external rotation. It's like I get put in that, I'm like, they're yanking on it and they're waiting for me to tap. I'm like, no, I actually got, yeah. you, I suck at this, but I have more range. Of, I'm, I'm safe right now. When it would go to my left one that I didn't, it'd be like, yeah, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah. Tap, like whatever. You can see like the benefits of like yeah. having a joint that actually like moves good when it gets like, because I'm like, if this is a sport and you make a cut right here and you're, 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 you're in like an ankle or a heel hook or something like that, your ACL is gone. Like that's, uh-huh. and that's that small, like, okay. Well, and that's why I think for those guys to be good. And this is something that I talked to Victor and them. They started it when they were so young that they effectively, I believe that their joints and their bodies have adapted in such a way. Cause I, I deal with this too. Like all of a sudden a guy will be like going to get me in something. And I know physically that's not a position I want to get into. So then I fight like a fucking, like a, a you know, like a hungry dog to avoid it. Like we, we were doing some like cross body, like arm, uh, some arm bars off of triangles. And like, as the dude was getting me in it, I just squared up and fucking sunk my shoulder into it and like went forward and just put my head into his fucking chin. Ugh. And he was like, wow, I've never seen that one. I'm like, no, I wasn't going to get out of this yeah. position. And the only way I know how to do it was to fucking basically put my forehead through your face. Yeah. And he's like, oh, it's, it's an interesting defense. And I'm like, well, yeah, I know I don't have the range of my, like my elbow doesn't straighten from like this. If you get me into this position, I'm going to fucking freak out. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like speaking of combat sports, I think combat sports is something that everyone should do from a humbling standpoint of like, you like generally okay you lift weights you're strong like whatever you get with some like 130 pound that's like even just a blue belt not even really that high level in the world of jiu-jitsu and i'm like i've been the times where i'm like dude i had to tap out three times in two minutes because this dude is just like boom 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 like whatever and you look and it's like i i can i bend i mean it's not even comparable but you look at like the details and like being able to like that specific understand the body and how that you can just kind of flow even i'm in i have you in a bad position and you can get out of it like that and then get me into something thinking three, three or four levels ahead. And that's where it's like, uh, like I think if you get tired in sports, it, a lot of people will like quit or like whatever. I'm like, dude, if you've ever sparred and yeah. you get tired, it's like, okay, first of all, you don't want to, you're not going to be that dude. It's like, I'm tired. I'm going to tap out. You, you look like, no, I've, gym. You know what I mean? You're, 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 you're shame at the lowest level in the I've, gym. I fucking shame. did. I, shame. Yeah, shame. No, I did that recently. Uh, we were, we were at open mat. And uh, so this is a, uh, um, funny deal that uh regardless of where i go i always seem to have people waiting in line to fucking roll <laughs> with me and so we went to open mat and uh there was like four dudes waiting and we were rolling like like literally like five minutes rounds so like i'm 45 minutes in and the dude's like ready and i'm like uh we get like two minutes into it and i just kind of like rolled on my side and i was like I'm done. i can't go this much but uh i, I know you're saying dude but like there's uh, that's kind of why with uh, the jits guys we push the conditioning so hard because uh as we started watching a lot of this the guy that can basically keep the high level pace the longest it, it ends up fucking winning. So like at that point, I was like, let's just train their engine to make these guys fucking mo- engine monsters. And that's yeah. what like I had one, I had one amateur MMA fight, and like you want to oh, talk, you, yeah, 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 no, yeah, yeah, no. So you want to talk about like understanding like weight cut and other stuff, and then understanding how like dude, I'm in the best shape of my life, and like like no question, cardiovascular the best shape of my life. But you you got the weight cut, you're so hyped up because it was like a good size like 
venue, not like, you know, kind of one of these where there's like 10 people there. And it's like, dude, I went to the floor in a minute and my body, thankfully the fight ended. I knocked him out in like, uh, like nice. two minutes, but like you go in a minute and it's like, it's dude, I've been, I've been rolling like five minutes or like going sparring, boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, no problem. One minute in, I'm like, dude, I, my legs are I, like, where did my legs just Whoa. go? And you look at like the adrenaline, yeah, like yeah. the, the factor of that. But from, there's also a big deal too. Like this is something I constantly think in jits, um, different than MMA, right? So like in jits, like you can be uh, like, I get into positions and I kind of just chill and wait. And like, you can kind of like side survival and like kind of hold positions and kind of wait the guy out a little bit and then kind of like fight here and get your leg in fucking MMA. The dude's fucking punching you in the yeah. face. So like guys will pull guard constantly in jets, right? And then all of a sudden they're going to have you in full guard. You got to go to pass. If you pull fucking guard on me and I'm on top, I'm going to fucking literally kill you. Like, I mean, like. Well, it's like, like the Brock Lesnar. Like, like yeah. when you're that big and strong, even just hammer fist yeah. when you're that big. Dude, hammer like fist. Like that, that freaking, like the Frank, remember the Frank yeah. Mir fight? Yes. From, I'm like, you want to watch, like. Uh, I was petrified. That wasn't even there. I'm like, dude. of how a human being at such short range oh could do that to a human skull dude. in those gloves. Like, that uh, was scary. Like, uh, so little known Frank Muir story. He used to bounce at, um, what was it? Spearmint Rhino. Okay. So uh, we went, uh, obviously, to Spearmint Rhino, and Frank Muir was the door guy. And he was fighting like a couple weeks later at, uh, for the, like whatever the UFC mm -hmm. deal he was at. And uh, I even said to him, I was like, holy shit, dude, Frank Muir. Don't you have a fight coming up? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll cut out in two weeks and change my sleep up. But I remember thinking, like, in the, one of the other UFC guys did the door during the day, and he, we we wrapped with him, and you know, fucking Mir's got like that weird fucking head, and uh, I'm thinking, like, holy shit, dude, Frank Mir, uh, fucking savage. I mean, his whole deal was like, I'm breaking your arm. Yep. You you tapping is me preventing you from breaking your arm. I'm not trying to get you to tap. Which there's literally video when he, I think it was yeah. Tim Sylvia, when he like broke, yeah. when he broke the, whatever it was, his, his elbow or like whatever it was, it was like, dude, you see it. And like Herb Dean was like the, oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, but uh, uh, Frank Mir is a fucking savage. Yeah. Work the door in Vegas at a strip club. I'd, and, uh, but yeah, no, I, I totally know what you're saying. Like, like I, I constantly think in jits, like, hey, would we pull guard? There's certain things because it's, um. You know, I mean, it's the nature of the deal. You're looking for submissions, but you get into an MMA deal, and like most of the stuff that you would maybe do within a high level thing, it's not going to happen because I'm going to fucking get murdered. And I think the interesting thing too, like kind of with the JIT stuff, is like the interesting demands of just like the squeeze of like how tiring. Like even if you kind of are holding on position, but you got somebody in guard and you're not conditioned, you know what I mean? Of like, oh, sh my inner th like, dude, like I'm kind of gassed right now, like whatever. And it's like, okay, go to the next person. I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm not. The body isn't prepared, which is yeah. very unique for MMA because most of the time you're not squeezing in any other sport or kind of like whatever. So I think that's like the interesting when you look at like the demands well, of that. Then also uh, no gi versus gi. Oh, yeah. That's another one that's uh, been really fascinating to me. because I, uh, I like no gi. Well, I like no gi better, but I also realized that uh, in the gi, the friction in the handles make it dramatically more difficult. Mm -hmm. Because the guy has handles, he can move, there's friction. Like if a guy's got your back, like in a no-gi, like if I were to give you my back, I can pretty much spin yeah. my body and turn because it's next to impossible. Like once I put the seatbelt hold on you in uh, rear naked, like like the, the friction of the gi and the position just makes it impossible. And then there's also these handles. So I like the no-gi better, but like I also realize the gi makes me dramatically better because I have like way smaller margin of error. And there's a whole bunch of shit that like I can't get away from. Like when we were like, uh, you know, like coming up and doing some stuff, dudes can, you know, grab your hand, you know, uh, sleeve, they can grab your lapel, they can pull different things in nogi. Fuck at that point, I just fucking go down and try to open field tackle them and knock them. Yeah. Their feet, you know? It's kind of like the Anders Eric, like the, that, that gi, like from a skill set standpoint, it makes, like you were saying, it makes you tighter. It makes you have to, you can't get by. Cause I think kind of, I think, I think, and I recommend this for everybody. Um, at least in my observation of having done it, like I think you have to start in the gi, 
Uh, and then I think that there's a progression to Nogi. Um, who's his name? Uh, Brett Hawker just shot me an email about uh, helping him with some JITS training. Um, he's one of our, uh, he's a graphic designer buddy of ours. It's got a design firm out in San Francisco does um, video games. Um, so he's going to 10th Planet doing all this Nogi stuff. And mm. I was trying to explain it to him. I was like, yo, man, you got to start in the Gi just to fucking feel the fucking handles. He's like, no, no, I like this no gi stuff. I'm like, yeah, everybody likes it because you're fucking sweaty. Yeah, it's just like wrestling. It's just like wrestling and fucking with people and like, yeah, there's submissions and shit, yeah. It's uh, so funny that you, you, you mentioned 10th Planet because going back to what we were talking about earlier of like people learning stuff they shouldn't have, this was back like, I was doing this like probably about, what was that? I was in college, so uh, was that about 10, 12 years ago? Um, but that was like YouTube. I'm like, I suck. Or, you know what I mean? You start out, you suck. And it's like, I'm tired of getting choked out all the time and like whatever. So it's like, you're YouTubing different. Like even just like you, you learn like a new, you're not quite as good as someone, but you learn like, um, uh, terminology. It's been a while, but like, you know what I mean? When you like reverse position, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? You start learning stuff. It's like, they don't know how to do that, but I do. And it's like, oh, I just got a lot better. Yeah. But like, I started like the, the, the Eddie Bravo rubber guard. Oh, yeah, yeah, and rubber I do guard not have, I should not be doing Like, I don't have the hips or whatever, but I would get someone in guard and I would try and go rubber guard. And it's like, you have I, I'm not, I'm doing it, but I should not be doing First it because all, I, I, I don't. You can't have any muscle. <laughs> so so the the whole Eddie Bravo thing. Um, so the first time. What's the size? Like, what's the stature? So, uh, so like, this is this? pretty wild. Like, like if you, like. uh Eddie Bravo? They purposely. Lifting weights is kind of anti on their stuff because they have like it's all based. Like if you were to see the Tenth Planet dudes, they look like they'd probably be in a reggae oh, band. We, we power athlete radio Andrew Craig, yeah. Houstonian. We yeah. had him on. So uh, like the guys, like he's, I remember he's the probably first, six two. Well, he's the first really time we like went over to Tenth Planet in, in Orange County, they were just sitting around smoking weed, and uh, I mean, which is fine, but they like to smoke weed and like go roll and like it's very Eddie Bravo. So like he was big into it, but like their whole rubber guard thing, like. I physically, for having leg muscle, like in a hamstring, like there's no way for me to do rubber guard. 5'8", uh, so. Yeah, like even, even there was a, the, I, U, the UFC fight pass that just Gordon Ryan with um, uh, Nicky Rod, I don't know if you saw that recently, there's a 16-year-old kid who's a 10th planet, I think he's like adult slayer, um, I forget the kid's name, but he just basically fucking heel locks and fucking breaks dude's legs. The kid's like 16, like uh, terrible shape, like super <laughs> lunchy, just like real fat, but like super flexible and he can fucking pull off all those moves. And I'm like, holy shit, dude. Yeah. I mean, but it's all heel locks for him. Well, it's, it's like the heel, like the, it's interesting. Uh, I'm trying to think of a couple of those other guys and I can't, I'm, I don't follow it as much as I did back, you know, when I was in college, but like you look at, cause like heel hooks and a lot of that stuff, like even like black belts would do it, but it wouldn't be like kind of their go-to that you see yeah. certain kind of like you were talking about, oh, like, like this is their move or like whatever, that like you start developing certain skill sets of like, oh, like uh, I'm trying to think, a couple of the guys cut uh, their name. Uh, Who's the guy that got banned from like the UFC because he wouldn't let go of heel hooks? I can't remember his uh, name, but like he legitimately got like banned. Like Jake Shields, he tapped out Jake Shields and Jake Shields gave him like a late hit because yeah. he wouldn't he wouldn't let go or whatever. And he, I think he was uh, Brazilian. Mm -hmm. um, so it was always that, that like, does he understand? Well, well, so but it was like, People like if you went to the ground with him, even if you're in guard, he'll, he would like be on top, and then he would just transition. You know, something that yeah. you should not do into a heel hook because he's so good yeah. at heel hooks. You know what I mean? That uh -huh. like you just start to develop, and it'd be like almost like you don't want. It's like a shark. You don't want to go into a shark when you're bleeding, and that was kind of like going down there with him. He wasn't very good stand up, but it was like so fearful of that. You know what I mean? Which well, I mean that's like the you know like uh, like looking at ten planets. Uh, or like looking at the kid from 10th Planet. I mean, that's his kind of go-to and that's what he's known for. But uh, for a long time, leg locks and heel locks were kind of viewed as 
like bad. Like, yeah. like it was, it, it was like a bad form of doing. Frowned upon. Yeah, frowned upon. And then they looked at it like, well, shit, dude. Like it's you're only fighting half the body, so they've incorporated it. So you almost have to learn how to use it. I mean, shit, dude. Gordon Ryan beat that dude what in like nine seconds at the ADCC with that. You know, like the guy basically went, he grabbed his heel. The guy tried to get out, and he heel locked him. The guy tapped yeah. him like nine seconds. And it's like one of those things, like with that, like there's not like the you know what I mean, where it's like you're getting choked out. You got like kind of that set or like or arm bar or whatever. It's like one millimeter and your ACL's gone. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like okay, it's you get choked out, you got your suspension or whatever, but like you're in the AC, you're, you're out for like eight, nine months. So yeah. like even just like the, the, the level of risk, if you will, and that is so much higher with that stuff. And that's kind of where like, it's almost kind of like, you don't even want to play with like, even in the trade, you know what I mean? Even the training, like you don't even yank on it really, because it's like, to a certain degree, Yeah. because like if something goes wrong, you're, you don't want to do that to your training uh, partner. Yeah. No, the leg locks and the heel locks and all that stuff. I mean, we fucked with it. And it's like, as somebody's putting you in there, you're like, Oh shit. Yeah. Like, like, like even like if you do like a single leg and you like trap the dude up and you basically like get the heel and kind of like hook it and lean back, you're like, he's like, fuck is I'm in that position. I'm like, I'm just going to go to the ground yeah. and try to fucking kick this dude in the face <laughs> and get this thing out of here. But like, it's, um, it's pretty interesting, like uh, watching the ADCC and then, you know, obviously working with, uh, with Victor and like watching more of the fights and how people do it and like realizing that like you almost have to like dictate what your game is. And like, you know, for a guy like Victor, he moves so well for a big dude. Um, you know, but he's got good leg locks. I think you have to be able to be skilled in everything and then have your kind of wheelhouse and fight to get stuff out. Let me ask kind of unrelated, but not entirely unrelated. What are your thoughts on wrestling for like from a football standpoint? Uh, I think it is probably the single best thing that a football player could do is go wrestle. And I will tell you that a, it a is a winter sport for our listeners out there. So it, it doesn't is, interfere. Uh, one of my greatest res- uh, regrets was not wrestling. So when I was in high school, I wanted to wrestle. Um, I was told that I would lose too much weight and that I shouldn't wrestle and then ended up going and running track. I should have wrestled 100%. I should have said, fuck the weight. I'll go wrestle. Uh, if I have to gain it back, whatever. I just, um, and I'll tell you why. Um, I was a senior in high school. Uh, we had gone to like this like uh, passing league deal. You know, they would have, have like all the like seven the seven. Seven. Yeah, seven okay. on seven. They used to bring the linemen and they'd have like lifting and old line shit and whatever. So we were there, and we ended up riding, running into these, like, rival high school um, dudes, and we fucking kind of got into it with them, and then it ended up, we were, like, a fucking Burger King parking lot, like, <laughs> fighting these dudes. Like, stupid stupid high school shit. So uh, the next, like, that was, like, oh, like, on a Friday. That Monday, all of a sudden, we come, like, walking out of school to the parking lot, and, like, those dudes are in our parking lot waiting for us. And so, like, we're, like, looking around, and, like, holy shit, we're going to go fight these dudes. So as we start walking down, um, it was like our, uh, our linebacker, myself, and a few of the dudes. All of a sudden, our, like, a bunch of football players are there. All of a sudden, those dudes just fucking like, vanish like ghosts. And there's like you know, six or seven of these dudes, and there's about three or four or five of us. As we're walking down, all of a sudden, I look over, and um, there was a bunch of these wrestler dudes that were like 132 pounds. Like these little-ass wrestler guys that weren't football players, like all of a sudden like popped out of nowhere, and they were like, let's fucking roll these dudes. <laughs> and I'm like what like like these dudes were in my class i knew them i knew they were wrestlers like one of them was a total like fucking nerd like book bag dude out of nowhere he's like 125 130 145 pound wrestlers fucking went at these like 230 pound football players and we're beating these dudes asses and we like rolled these guys so it was like me and a couple football players and like a whole bunch of like mini wrestlers stomped these fucking dudes and uh we ended up getting in trouble uh we didn't get arrested but like it was wasn't good but long story short, I remember thinking like, 
dude, in a fight, I'll take a hundred and fucking thirty-five pound wrestler any day over a two hundred thirty-pound line uh, football player. So, hindsight, I regretted not wrestling, and it's been fun that now that we're doing this stuff, like I, I like I wish I had done it at a younger age. And then I got to play with Steve Neal, um, okay. who was. Uh, you know, fucking one of the top wrestlers in the world, and then just basically decided to go play football and played for the Patriots for 10 years. Uh, Matt Pollock's a buddy of ours, lives up the road. He wrestled at uh, Syracuse and Hofstra. And the one thing that's universally true about the wrestlers is they're usually always really good fucking dudes, and they're real strong, and they like to fucking throw down after a few drinks. Like, even like we were walking out with Pollock, he saw me grab him around the side, and he was like, oh, yeah, let's he kicked get your ass for the record. No. <laughs> But uh, I want Pollock to come up and train with us just because I'm like, God, he's got his noses on one side, his head's off. I'm like, he's going to be great. Well, it's kind of like with combat. Like, if you're just a wrestler, like, if you've, if you've ever rolled with someone that's got a wrestler, it's like, they might not know, like, once, like, jiu-jitsu, like, type stuff, but it's like, they're ability to control your body yeah. is so good. And that's kind of one of the things that like from a football standpoint, cause like one of the things you hear a lot, like how do we get better at tackling? How do we get better at whatever? And it's kind of like one of those things where, like, if you're a good wrestler, you get like, it might not be the perfect, you know, position from a tackle. You're getting them to the ground. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's one of the things, like I said, I'm from the Midwest where like Illinois, Iowa, like wrestling country. With that said, I wrestled for like a year when I was like, you know, like 11 or 12 years old and I was in basketball. And I'll tell, like I tell people, I'm like, if you're from the Midwest and you wrestle like Pennsylvania, some of those areas, it's like, we'd be it's playing, ba- we'd be playing basketball. You know what I mean? Like you go out and get your water break, man, these can, basketball, it's tough, man. We're running a lot. And then you look at the wrestlers yeah. and it's like dudes with blood down their face, throwing there's, up, there's running. Like, they're on, they're on, we like the third hour of practice yeah. wrestling coach got their shirt tucked in, yelling, whatever. You, you look like, onesie. man, that looks uh, like they're, it sucks right they're now. They're in like uh so our, our wrestlers used to train in this room with space heaters and they had these fucking weighted jump ropes and they would jump rope forever. Like those dudes are savages. But, um, I couldn't agree with you. Like if, uh, like shit, if I was approached to work with um, train offensive alignment or get them ready, like not for the combine but for the season. Um, obviously, we teach. Uh, there's a bunch of boxing and hand stuff that I would teach. But the one thing I would bring in after having met Arash, uh, the judo, and like understanding like the positioning and this, and especially like the body locks and like being able to understand like balance. Like as Arash and I were fucking around, I was like, man, this would be really beneficial for offensive linemen to understand some of these judo throws. Yeah. So Jim Steele, when he was at Penn, familiar with Jim Steele? I'm not. Oh, dude, legend in the, the strength game. Bass, we had like a seven-hour podcast. Okay. Well, let's not get into that. that <laughs> but that McQuilkin was supposed to hit play on the button. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, we had it all. Everything's. It was. We had it all. Recording. We had. Yeah. It was just on mute. <laughs> Who puts a mute button on a microphone? Oh my god! And it was three hours in before he realized it. And, and, he, and he just like hit the button and didn't say anything. Well, and it was great. It, 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 this an hour pre- before that, I. How does this compare to the concrete? Was this? Was this? Were oh, you? even worse because oh. uh, he he gave us a tour on a Sunday evening following a seminar, and like we went into his office and every all the keys to everything were in his office, and I'm just out of habit. I leave a room, I close the door, I locked us out of his office with the keys <laughs> to the whole kingdom. So his his assistant, Tracy yeah. Zimmer, yeah. Yeah. Power Athlete Radio alum, she had to drive up on a Sunday evening and let us back in the office, and then we sit down for a three-hour podcast yeah. that we didn't record. Yeah. It was a bad night. It was me. fucking great. Uh, anyway, but we had an amazing talk. Well, we did have an amazing talk and an amazing tour and how we set up the weight room at Penn, and this is Ivy League, lacrosse players. That was mainly my questions. But uh, he would have this uh, mat room, and he would teach them wrestling so they get more comfortable in the But in it was also wrestling sport. in Muay Thai. Well, that's what I was going to get yeah. into. And then you press a button, and then these, these punching bags yeah. like roll out. So it's a beautiful room. Yeah. 
And so he would get these Ivy League dudes, lacrosse players, used to combat sports, speaking of angles and then meaningful yeah. touch and a lot of the, the cool concept that, that John's spoken about for boxing and the value in a contact sport that is lacrosse. So, like, the connection, he was aiming to teach these kids a lot of the mental toughness and getting used to being in uncomfortable situations. But then, big picture, the different angles yeah. and, uh, and, like, utilizing your full body, not just the, the perfect posture and position, theoretical. It was, you're going to find yourself in whole different weird positions, but you still got to execute. Well, when I, uh, when I was still playing, I lived in Orange County. Um, I, uh, there's a dude named Joker who I've known for years, and I used to go over to his MMA place and roll with, and fight with those guys. And the one thing that I didn't like about Jits at the time was, one, uh, as an offensive lineman, the last place I ever want to be is on my back. So putting me there on my back was like, it was fucking never going to happen. So like teaching me to get, like, it just didn't work. Um, it was just, I don't know, like the pacing, it just didn't seem like it had huge carryover for me to, for my sport, but actually like the nogi and the striking and like the wrestling and all of that and like the judo stuff, like now that I've gotten more into like doing it with the guys, I can see the benefit and actually other offensive linemen, like being able to be like, Hey, I'd like you to come and see how you do with this. Cause I'm interested just to know one, can you bend your hips? Can you bend your knees? I mean, these guys are so fucking stiff. Yeah. You know, leverages, how are you moving in space, how are you cutting guys off. So I think there's a really interesting skill set for it, but I don't know if it's jujitsu based as much as it's more like on your feet grappling, judo, kind of hand position fighting, no gi type stuff. So kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I coach high school lacrosse, and then one thing I want dudes to be comfortable with is contact because half play football half don't so half mm -hmm. are no problem i don't have to teach it the other we do have to get comfortable do you have to teach the guys that don't play football how to like hit and use their hands and all that uh-huh and get comfortable with contact so we do have some wrestlers that don't play football awesome dudes no problem there but then utilize manual resistance and a lot of the stuff of even partner carries to just get comfortable mm -hmm. with like tension and using your body and being physical so it's some fun. Because lacrosse fun. is a pretty unique, because uh, when I was at Lindenwood, um, I lived with uh, one of the other strength coaches, and one of the teams he had was lacrosse, and then the other person I lived with was our assistant lacrosse coach. So, like, I mean, Midwest, this was back uh, when I was in grad school, was that uh, probably eight, nine years ago? It was when Denver won it all, and they were the first team west of the Mississippi uh -huh. to, to, to win, I think, like, the D1 National Championship or whatever it was. Yeah. So it was, like, because, like, I never grew up with lacrosse. Like, it wasn't around, like, in the Midwest or whatever. It's actually been really interesting to see, like, even just Texas, like, in Dallas or whatever, like, people playing in the park. Like, sh I see shirts. I see I, we have a junior high kid that does it. It's interesting to see that how the sport's expanded. But uh, lacrosse is, like, interesting because, like, when you talk about, like, the contact – like about all the time, like I'm trying to think where it's kind of like basketball where you're almost boxing. You know what I mean? Like you see a lot of that can, stuff. Uh, that's, that's, I aim to say, Hey kid, what's, what sports your background? Like, is it football? Is it basketball? Is it anything? And then try to utilize that. If they're a basketball player, I'm like, you have permission to foul everything you ever wanted to do. It's the same footwork position, hip angles, drive them away from the basket. But now you get a, a weapon, use it. It's a, like, I'll be honest, I, the first time, I, the first couple, I'm like, dude, this is a really aggressive sport. Right. Like, you see, and it's like, second of all, like, you learn, like, the goalies are like, they're like saying, you have to be a different individual to be a goalie because you don't really have much padding. You're going to give up probably 15, 15 plus goals a game. So you got to be able to deal with, like, whatever. And you're going to wear these, like, lacrosse balls that are hard coming at you with high velocities. Oh, yeah. So you got to be, well, like, a different mentally. I did. I, I was in the same boat. I knew nothing about it. And then uh, as we had, like, more people on and we had, um, 
Well, uh, we had Marcus Holman and Hartzell. Yeah, but but we had Marcus Holman on, and like I I had seen it, but I had like never sat down and watched it like at length. And when we had Marcus Holman on, I watched, and I was like, holy shit, that kid was like moving through space and spinning and moving and like switching hands and this. I was like, Jesus Christ! Oh yeah, and he like, whip at hundred miles an hour. I mean, but just like his ability to move through space and be able to come back across his body, and I mean, he fucking really gifted athlete oh, and like pinpoint accuracy. I mean, when you start thinking. About all the elements of like execution and athleticism and this, I mean, kind of hits all the space. I'm like, fuck, dude, this kid's pretty legit. Yeah. And what's what's interesting too is because I didn't know because we had men's and women's lacrosse, and our women's lacrosse was really good. So I never I'd watch men's, and then like I watched the women, and I'm like, you know, like in hockey when you're expecting the actually no 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 I'm sorry, this happened. I didn't understand women's hockey and men's hockey were different. First of all, that was the first one. So I'm watching like. Uh, one of our women's hockey game, D1, like, and like, I'm expecting, like, you kind of get it, and you're like, okay, a big check's coming, it's like, oh, they kind of skate by. And then you keep watching, like, and then you realize, like, oh, the contact is a lot different. Same with, like, lacrosse, like, totally different men's and women's, of, like, I would watch men's, I see all these big hits, and then I got to watch a women's game for the first time, and I'm expecting, like, oh, this is going to get, like, you just see the collision happening, and then it's like, they veer off. And it's like, what's going on here? And then someone told me, he's like, oh, it's completely like, there's no, the contact is on the women's side. There really is none. Well, or even there's well, the girls foul. don't wear helmets either. Uh, uh, so. No, they, they got goggles and mouthpieces. Yeah. Yeah, and, and contact is and illegal. High level division one women's lacrosse is pretty amazing because the ball never touches the ground. Yeah. And it's, they're not they can't fucking, touch each other. So they well, got to be more they're precise. Yeah. Yeah. And it, what, I'll be honest, my baseball backer, like, you would think, like, okay, catching a ball, like, lacrosse, like, whatever. Like, they gave me the sticks one time. I'm like, oh, like, whatever. You want to talk about just being absolutely horrible of, like, 10 yards away and throwing it? I'm like, dude, I can't even – I'm, like, missing. I'm like, dude, that's coming at me fast. Like, you know what I mean? Like, whatever. I'm used to catch. you know, I mean, I, I faced 97, 90, you know what I mean? Like, whatever. I'm like, dude, this is a lot harder, like, especially when you see, like, how they're running, then through, boom, boom, boom. I'm like, dude, this is a lot more – this is – more skilled even just doing that stuff than I realized men's you know boy men's and women's side so like I, I if you've never done it before I was shocked with how difficult like and how the netting there's not really a whole lot of give there in the, you know what I mean like the net you'd be thinking I just got to put it here and the ball is going to come in or whatever there's like that fine tuning because like the net isn't there like regulations on the net oh, like yeah. how stiff very much so and like I, I would always joke yeah I would always joke I'm good about finding one or two things to get on people's skin and then just keep riding it so like the long stick middies or like whatever. And I was I would always make jokes about like when I see like someone like hey are you the long stick midi or whatever. And then my buddy he's like dude it's not funny anymore. I'm like dude I, I find it amusing. Like the, uh, you got that you got that massive long beats stick. Beats a dead horse, huh? <laughs> oh, it's funny. Yeah. Oh, I get it. I was I, a short I don't know stick what, D midi. I don't know what that means. But. I am a short stick D midi. The, uh, the for baseball as an example, what I find fascinating, a 97 mile an hour fastball is coming towards your body and you got to get out of the way. And you get 45,000 people in the stadium like, oh, and like get charged up. A goalie is crazy enough that they have to take their body and just step in the way of 97 miles an hour and then just unfaze because the ball's bouncing somewhere and they got to find it and then like be on the next play. Well, we also they know are, because baseball players are prima donnas. So <laughs> clearly. The, uh, no, but the – yeah, dude, I've never met a goalie that was good that's not just – Crazy. Fucking nuts. Yeah, yeah that's, our, I think that's a good example. My, my goal is getting into our, our, our college hall of fame here coming up. So, like, he was, he was All-American. He was amazing. He was very fortunate for me. That's how I learned to play the game because coming from Texas, it's football with sticks. To then go to East Coast and play, like, he had to, like, luckily he was a freshman too and we were the same age. He had to, like, sit me down and actually teach me yeah. how to play. Um, well, speaking of teaching and moving, dude, the, the middle school – 
Like 12 years old is some of the funnest kids to work with, like personality-wise. Did you say funnest? Like, is, is that a word? Funnest or funner? Yeah. No, it, it's, it's one fun? of the funnest yeah, groups funnest that you get the opportunity to work with because just the personalities. But then keeping them on task, and we spent a moment talking about focus and intent and push and hard work. Like, what is the trick to teaching these key concepts, intent and focus? You know the value, but you also know the kid is just, it's silly time. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think one of the, what's really, really important is, is being able to, as a coach, teacher, whatever, take a step back and kind of like look at, look at things from a, like a 360 overhead view, if you will. So like, I'll give you the example. When I started doing this, uh, this was like two and a half years ago. It's kind of like, okay, we need to teach squat. I'm going to teach them how to RDL with a PVC pipe, you know, boom, 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 boom. And like, you know, I thought it was a pretty good plan or whatever, you know, 50, 60 kids in the weight room, maybe one other coach helping me like, you know, on command or whatever. We're doing the RDLs with the PVC pipe and like I'm calling out positions, teaching, whatever. I look back and there's like three or four kids having a, like a, a Star Wars late, like whatever. And it's like, hey, like they're not, they hear me talking, they're done. They're no, like whatever. We're going to keep, we're just going to like whatever. And you want to talk about like one of the, I think it's stuff like that helps you grow as a coach or whatever. It was like, you know, the song, like you had a bad day, you, whatever that is. It was kind of like, oh, man, this is, why is this so bad? Like whatever. The very next, I was in the summer, the very next year I, I learned and I'm like, okay, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to try and teach 60 kids because they're going to get distracted. So I'm going to, I'm going to segment. So we would segment into like four stations. So if I have 60 kids, we're going to go into segments of, of like 15 to 20 kids. And I'm going to not like a big open area. Like I had the availability where we had like the drop down nets. So I'm going to net everything off. So you can't even see what's going on over there. Uh, so you're going to be right here. So if I, I tell people in the situation, it might be weight room. You're going to go in the hallway here. You're going to go to a classroom here, like whatever. But like, you know what? I might not be able to get done what I want, but this is going to set the table so I can, I can coach and teach in a manner that's going to allow us to get that done. Then with that, you know what? And I'm like, this has got to be kind of fun for them to want to keep doing this stuff. Like I know that maybe you need to learn how to do an RDL, but it's not really fun for them. So I started kind of reprogramming thought process of like, you know what, I want to teach this and this, and then we'll kind of just do some other, I think it's beneficial, but kind of like game-ish type stuff. So it's like, they're fun. The other thing too is like with dopamine and understanding kind of how the, the kids focus, brain, everything works. If we're, in, if we're in groups and say we have an hour training session and realistically with like, uh, when you rotate between four groups, you might have about 12 to 13 minutes in a group with transitions. If you're only having to focus for 12 or 13 minutes and you get a brand new something in another station, it's like, oh, what is this? Like whatever. When you're trying to do long stuff for like 20, 30 minutes, I think that's when it, it negates everything. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's a lot harder to get stuff done if you only have 12 or 13 minutes, but you're a lot more focused in that 12 or 13 minutes. So you know what? It might be like in some of those stations, it might be like we're teaching squat and we're teaching, we're doing medicine most times. We're just gonna do those two things. And you know what? I might wanna, I could potentially get more stuff done, but no, no, no let's just stay with that stay with that and then we'll keep progressing from there so that that's that's one of the biggest things that i've found is trying to set set the structure of everything so that it's set up in a way that's going to be the kids are going to be focused they're going to lock in and it's not going to be like because we've all been there like where you have like a 60 minute lecture and it's like okay this topic is really interesting but you get to the point where it's like minute 25 and it's like dude I, i'm kind of i, I want to go like okay you know what i mean like wait what did we just talk about you know what i mean so i can understand that from my vantage point so trying to set the kids up like i said in that in that in, in that i think the other thing too is just and I've told other individual coaches this, like developing relationships, you know what I mean? It's like, if you've only worked with someone for a week, it's hard to develop, like, especially with a, like a, a 12, 13 year old. It's like, I say something, it doesn't really mean anything. But if I've been with you for like three months, six months, a year, some of the kids now like two and a half years from the time you were 12 years old, now you're 15. Okay, you know what? Like we fun, like whatever, but like, like 
the times when it's like, all right, hey, stop, everybody, stop, stop, stop. What are we doing right? You know what I mean? Like, dude, I was, and you don't like to go, but like, I was with you 18 months ago when you were in here at eight o'clock in the morning when you were 12 years old, right? I, none of these, I was here with you, right? You guys, I saw the word, boom, 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 boom. When you can kind of go to that and it's like, I can get you back locked in. You know what I mean? When you don't have that time component with somebody, you haven't been there with somebody, you can't really go to that place. You know what I mean? I think that's honestly unrelated, but that's kind of the trouble or not trouble with the challenge now with like college football and NIL and like transferring. It's like, if I I have a new coach every year, I can't develop that relationship. If it's like, we, I think we got, uh, dude, they got to fix this shit. I I like every time I look at it, it looks fucking worse. The fact now that all these coaches can poach, like I was seeing, like this kid was like, you know, uh, not even in the portal and two schools offered him like $5 million to go into the portal in this. So now they're like tampering and they're tweet. It's uh, they got to fix it, dude. It's a wild west. It yeah. looks like a shit show. I think what, I think what they need to do is like, and I can understand you have that fluctuation. Your head coach leaves like, okay, you got recruited to go to that school. I think it, Honestly, because I don't even understand the rules really anymore, but like when you actually have to sit out a year, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. I think if you go back to that, because most people aren't going to want to sit out a year, which yeah. is going to hurt their chance to go to the NFL. So I think if you get like, even if it was like something going back to like, okay, you get the one free transfer, but even if you're like whatever, like you have to sit out the year. I, I think, think that's how you cut, you cut that stuff back. I think the, well, what you said is exactly it. You give them one chance. So you can transfer one time. You can enter the portal one time. It's not unlimited. So like you almost have to look and be like, all right, is this the fucking time I used my fucking save. And it's really the only time. I mean, like, I, like, uh, yeah, I'm like, curious. it looks like an app. Like, it, like, looking at it from the outside, I'm super confused. And I, like, I mean, there's tampering. Coaches are reaching out. I mean, there's all these different stuff. I mean, people are like, hey, if you get in the portal, we take you, we're going to write you a check, and here's what it is. And you're like, like, as a coach, and, you know, you're developing players, you're bringing them up. Like, how do you protect your players? More important, protect your organization. Now does that kid come in? It's like, they're going to offer me five. I'm going to need 55, you know. And, yeah. and they're, they're negotiating. Oh, that's the movie Blue Chips. Well, it is. I mean, I, I get the idea. But uh, I think what you do is you just, if you're going to do it, you just give them one chance. Hey, you only get to enter the portal once. So, like, if you want to use your... You know, get out of jail free card or your golden ticket, whatever you call it. You can do it just one time. Just know if it doesn't work, you're fucking stuck there if it's a shitty place. Yeah, and I think I think the thing, too, is, like, I was just talking to a strength coach, uh, a couple strength coaches at a, a Power 5 school, and even, like, the challenges of, like, this was before the bowl game started, but it's, like, trying to write out your winter program, and it's, like, yeah, we don't know, like, we've got, we might have, we have, like, half our receivers transferred out, and we don't, we're probably going to lose more. We don't even know who's coming in. We can't, it's hard to write a program when it's, like, wait, do we have five returning of this group or do we have 20 or we have brand new player like yeah. do i have to write it like somewhat developmental like you don't even know how to do our a skip series or whatever yeah. like the, the the challenges of training i think at the college level now is so oh, challenging with that because it's like if you have, even if you train in another program but you come to ours it's like there's gonna be the details and stuff that we need to teach you to be able to do this say in the summer so well, it's like how do i even write a program if i don't even know who i have well and, in and, two weeks and what these yeah. kids forget um if you can play in the NFL, or sorry, if you can play, the NFL will find you. So like this idea of like, oh, like I, I remember, uh, you know, kid training, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to make it to the NFL because I'm not playing as a freshman. I'm like, oh, I didn't play as a freshman. I redshirted. Like it's, it's amazing that they somehow think that like, you know, the NFL and this. I'm like, dude, I know dudes that didn't play until their senior year ended up getting drafted and having really good NFL, NFL careers. So like the idea that like, you know, somehow what's, you know, that the fact that your coach isn't playing you at 18 years old is going to negatively affect you when you're 22. It just feels like fucking windiness. And um, these kids just seem like huge cunts. And uh, so like I, when I was at Utah State, I had Jordan Love, who's first round, yeah. like Packers first round. So I was there when he was a fifth string. Like, and you want to talk about like kind of that process, like Jordan, I, I love Jordan. Jordan's 
unbelievable in so many different areas. Jordan was a hundred. He, he was an early. He came in at 17 years old, graduated early. He was actually a year young for his class. Um, but he came in at 17. He was, I think, 177 pounds, 180 at 6'3". And, like, weak, small, like, whatever. To his credit, he was very good at, like, here's what I, I – and I had the quarterbacks. I was, like, my main group. So when he ever came to – there wasn't a workout. I've got two about two years of every workout, relatively every workout that he did. So I can show you when he, his max front squat was 165 pounds to a little over two years later when he did 350 as a, as a quarterback, you know what I mean? Like sure. whatever, no belt or whatever. So I can show you like his, this is what he was doing, boom, boom, boom. He worked hard and he would just do like, there wasn't like, like you're having to like just show up, work hard and just do that over and over. And it's like, this is how you go from 180 to 225 in two years as a quarterback, being from a fifth, fifth one scholarship offer, Bakersfield, California, no one knows who you are to like, dude, you almost just see Michigan State top 10 on the road. Nobody, nobody knew who you are to be in a first round pick. You know what I mean? And I think that's the thing where it's like, he didn't play, even his fresh, redshirt freshman year, he was like, you know, his, his TD to interception ratio was like, you know, one to one. Like he was making bad, like whatever. And then you saw, he just needed more time. You know what I mean? And that's so like, I've seen that. Like, so when I tell kids, like, if you think you need to be squatting 275 by the time you're 14 years old, I've seen a first round quarterback. I've seen people play high levels that were nowhere near that. I've also seen individuals that were very impressive physically at 15 or 16 and they just got by on being bigger and stronger they never learned technique and now once they got caught up to everybody else it's like oh wait i actually have to know five or six different types of pass rush moves and i can't just bull rush you know what i mean and that's kind of like the the levels if you will Dude, of that and I, I saw on social media kid was uh he's 14 like 63295 and the kid's up there i mean he looks like a grown man i was like i was six foot 165 pounds when i was 14 this kid's fucking 300 plus pounds and they're like ah oh, you know like all like and I'm like, you know what? Like, uh, have they have always existed 100%. Uh, but I just know that I never really ran into those dudes. So I'm, cu I'm curious, I'm curious your thoughts on this. Because I and I've talked about this. I think, obviously, if you can be 6'6", 6'7", like whatever, that's what you want or whatever. But sometimes when you get so advanced at a young age, it's almost like a crutch later on in the sense of like, and I, and I use this example, like basketball is kind of easy. Like, if I'm a 6'6", 15-year-old, and I'm super athletic, I don't need to use, I can score 30 points a game just yeah. using my right hand. I don't need to develop a left hand. I can go play AAU, like whatever. Uh -huh. Good coaching, this is kind of two-pronged. Good coaching is, I would rather have you score 20 points a game, but you're actually working on your left hand and practicing yeah. games because when you're 18, 19, if you want to play in the NBA, you need to have a left hand. Sure. Kind of like what we're talking about. The time to learn, you're not going to learn, oh, I got to the NBA, I got drafted. Now's the time to learn the left of the hand. You're going to get passed up. You're, you need more time. So I think one of the things of like, kind of like those examples, you get somebody that's so physically faster, bigger, stronger. At those, That's so, you have such a, you can just run, go run a nine route if you're a 4-4 kid in high school. Don't need, you don't need to learn a route tree. You're well, going to put up numbers. Um, you're going to get like whatever. So, There's come, come, so, so every story in the NFL uh, usually is about late bloomers. So uh, I was, I, mean, I was going to not necessarily late bloomer, but uh, I was 6'4 when I went to college and I grew almost two inches in college. So I showed up at the donor racer. My roommate had like a beard. And I remember after like three days, he's like, do you like, you, you don't have a razor? I'm like, no, why would I? I've never shaved. And he was like, what do you mean? I've been shaving since I've been 12. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, so, and then I grew from like 6'4 to like, what, 6'5 and three quarters. Like, uh, there were guys, every guy that I knew was a late bloomer that ended up doing well. J.J. Watts, you know, uh, Tony Gonzalez, um, you know, uh, look at, uh, who was it, A.J. Hawk. I mean, all of these stories, like the amount of dudes that I knew that were like, ah, you know, I wasn't real big. And like, you know, I went to this school and then all of a sudden I grew five inches and this and like became this player. I mean, the amount of those stories of guys I played with were like dramatically better than I was 6'4", 300 pounds when I was 12. Yeah. Like, I only know one dude. 
uh, Bobby Williams, who was like a monster when he was like 16 and was always been that same monster. And he was the only dude I knew. So um, I think we see this stuff and I, and I think that's great for these kids. But if they were to ask me, I'd be like, you know what? Um, I just know the stories I've heard from the majority of the NFL involves the late bloomers. You know, the LeBron James or the Michael Jordans or these. I mean, every one of these guys, there's a late bloomer story. There's not like, hey, I was, you know, 6'11 at, at 12 oh, years old. LeBron definitely was not a late bloomer. Oh, yeah, so the, he wasn't the, a late bloomer. The basketball but. story is Kevin Durant because... Was was that the late bloomer? Well, he, yeah, he was yeah. taught ball handling, guard skills, and all of a sudden he shoots up to seven feet and yeah. he has the guard skills. Yeah. The the challenge with basketball, say I am the tall. this is not me, but I, I say I am the tallest kid in middle school or high school, oh, you go play center, but you don't learn the fundamentals, and then the rest of your classmates catch yeah. up to you in height, and you are so far behind in the fundamentals. Uh, dude, the amount of uh, stories about late bloomers is absolutely incredible, and it's people that were like, you know, maybe weren't as, as gifted and had to like, you know, develop a skill set, and then all of a sudden everything catches up and wires up later, and now they've developed it. So uh, I've always said, I always hope, like, I'd rather have been a late bloomer. Like, I mean, my, my roommate in college told me he, like, was shaving since he was 13. He was, like, 6'3", 300 pounds, and he had been that way since eighth grade. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and, uh, like, okay, like, well, where do you go from there? Yeah. And I think what you said is, like, the huge key is developing the skill set. And then once you that happens, it's like, oh, you just became 10 times better. Yeah. The problem is, is, like, you can get by without the skill. Like, you can't just... It, I, I think I've, I've told people this. Do you remember play, like playing Madden, like the franchise and stuff? And you would have like your off-season time and it would be like, okay, you can devote 10% to skills, 20% or like whatever you could to strength. And it'd be like, okay, I get this player coming back. Might've been you. And he's like, oh, I, I decided, you know what? We need to work on strength. And his strength went from an 83 to a 91 because I put more time into strength. I think a lot of people think that that's how it works. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, developing a skill isn't something that you can just be like one off-season. Okay, now I'm better. This is... What, something that takes time and, and develops and like once you have a skill set and now you add strength speed all the other stuff on top of it it's like that just blew up the problem is is trying to develop a skill set when you're playing at a high level because it's like you're gonna have to take three steps back to get better and most people don't want to do that when i've been really good yeah. and that's kind of when you get the hard-headed like whatever and it's yeah. like now you're kind of set you know what i mean i think that's the that's the challenge and that's honestly that's where good coaching really comes in of being like you know what when I'm working with a 15, 16 year old, 13, whatever, we need to develop, we need to work on this now because in five years, you're gonna be, you're gonna be thanking me and you're not gonna, good, good teaching and good coaching really shows up later down the line in my opinion. Like a really good fourth grade teacher, you're not gonna know it at the time, but you're gonna look back and be like, man, they were very strict on me getting this done and they could have let me skate by, but they didn't. And now I'm doing this or whatever. And that was really helpful. Well, that, I mean, that's a kid I saw on Instagram and the kid's a monster and it shows them out there playing with these other kids. And I'm like, well, what competition does he really have? What's going to force him into better? And everybody's going to be, and, a, and it's not the kid's fault. Everybody in the world's going to be kissing this kid's ass until, until he goes to college. And he's probably going to sign to go to a big power five school. And he's, they're going to show up and realize that, like, he's never really been, like, I mean, he's probably worked hard, but he's never been forced to actually, like, go out and do stuff because he, he's always been so physically able and dominant. And now all of a sudden he's going to show up. I remember 18 years old showing up, and I was, you know, 6'4", 255 pounds, and, like, all of a sudden I'm sitting there, and there's, like, um, you know, one of our senior dudes, Brian Thury, is, like, 6'5", like, 315. He just, I watched him incline 500 for five. Absolute fucking monster, full beard, chest, and I'm like, I don't even know what a razor, <laughs> you know? And I remember thinking, like, how the fuck am I going to play? I'm not going to, like, like, like playing wasn't even on my fucking radar. I just, like, was like, holy shit, I think I got to lift weights so I could even probably, like, 
help this dude in practice. Like, I wasn't thinking that. Yeah. And, like, you know, some other kids, like, I'm not getting any playtime. I'm like, this guy's a fucking beast, and he's got a beard. Like, uh, like I, it, it's such a different mindset to me, and I don't know what's going with these kids' head, but I'm like, fuck, dude, I, I physically hadn't even done the body of work. Like, I couldn't even go into the weight room or do anything to even justify you even giving me a chance. Yeah. And it's probably going to take me two years to even get there, and I knew it just by looking at these fucking monsters. Yeah. So that's that's kind of hard for me with these kids. are like, I'm not playing. I'm like, should you be playing? Yeah. Have you physically done the work to earn to play? Or are you just like being a prima donna? And yeah. I, I feel like it's good. It's the latter. Yeah. Or, Jay, you're in town to speak at the UT clinic. I think this is a good time to introduce your topics. Neuroscience role and change of direction, skill development, and sports-specific expertise. So give us a little rundown of what you're, you're aiming to accomplish with this presentation. Yeah, so the goal, uh, kind of the goal of the presentation is kind of, we talked a little about Anders Ericsson work, um, and it kind of relates to that. It also relates to, uh, you know, change direction abilities, kind of the, uh, uh, there's four kind of components that, uh, you know, when I looked at like research and other other areas, and this has kind of been something I've been working on for the last like two or a year and a half, two years of like, uh, you look at uh, pattern recognition, perception, memory, and experiences. And those are kind of like the four that kind of get interrelated uh, depending upon what you do. And a lot of it relates back to, uh, domain specific expertise. So like there are carryovers and, and I believe there's examples of like, uh, when you look at like playing multiple sports of like, if I play basketball, like as a defender and I have to watch the torso we, and, and there's, you know, the research shows like, you know, the higher up you get, the more expert you get, you're, you're taking more information from somebody that a novice or a less skilled individual doesn't even think it, it doesn't even register. You know what I mean? So like John, if he was watching somebody, uh, you know, a defensive lineman, I'd be like, Oh, that was a good move. And he's like, he wouldn't probably see nine or 10. See how his hips started turning before the snap. Even well, I knew that was coming. This is the JJ Watt story because Chris is like, Oh, JJ Watt did great. And I'm like, well, they've designed an entire defense where he has zero responsibility and he's broken all of his fucking responsibilities and done something so outside the box that he's put the defense in a position. All I hear is complete, he changed the game. That's amazing. <laughs> vulnerable. Like, dude, I would, I was watching him do something and they were running a game and like he was part of the game and went the other way because he thought he could make a play. And like, so like they basically like abandoned it. So like, kind of like Ed Reed ish type safety where it was just kind of like he was he had the free reign to kind of do uh, jun junior say I was really the first guy okay. to ever do that where they junior had zero responsibilities other than just fuck shit up and make a play and he did and because he was so fast he mm -hmm. could just fucking make up shit but like looking at JJ um, incredible player I'm not saying he's not physical specimen just very frustrating to see then and then you get uh, Gruden just literally just like JJ Watt you know like uh, fucking can't get his knob in his mouth enough. And it's like, and it's, and Gruden knows better to be like, hey, dude, this guy broke all contain. Uh, he was supposed to be the wide man. He's supposed to keep contain. He shot inside. I mean, that was one that killed me. I mean, there's nobody outside of him. He's supposed to be keeping contain. He shoots inside, gets pinned, and ends up making a play when he didn't. He abandoned his responsibility just trying to make a play and putting his team in a stressful situation. Mm -hmm. So I saw that, and that was what bugged me. And then you would just get Gruden, who would just like forget about it and just basically just. Get, or know, the standard fan, them. where there's like tip balls and interceptions and touchdowns, yeah. and then I don't, I don't see the 15 yeah. fuck ups. Yeah. yeah, so I'm looking at it from like, uh, and then uh, a big part of that too is me sad that I didn't get to play against JJ Watt because I would have loved to have played against him. <laughs> there were two people I didn't get to play against. One was Howie Long, and one was JJ Watt. And I told Howie Long at a production meeting, my biggest regret was not being old enough to have played against his ass because I think I would have whooped him up, and his whole fucking demeanor changed. <laughs> it was great. So, 
I think you should call out J.J. Watt now so we can get him on the air. Uh, dude, uh, anytime you see, like, big white athletic defense alignment, I want to play against those dudes. <laughs> I like, I, I don't know, like white dude against white dude, spy versus spy. So, uh, well, presentation sounds cool. Yeah. So, so, so it kind of, so kind of, uh, you know, with that, it kind of relates kind of like we're talking about like lacrosse or like anything like that, understanding the pattern recognition of stuff. And I think that's where like experts, they'll, uh, they'll use like holistic processing and they'll, 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 they'll put stuff into chunks. Whereas you might see one, I might see, I'll use the football example. I might see the middle backer and that's all I'm focusing on, but a higher level and not necessarily someone that's like higher level i think sometimes in the sport is hard to, to quantify because you could get someone like a tyree kill and i'm not saying anything right wrong or different he's really really fast so he could make a bad decision oh. and still outrun someone but like if you look at like a, a say a, a, and i use the example of like cooper cup uh -huh. of like someone that's like he's a four six but he's the best receiver in the nfl how does he do that and where cooper cup might be looking or i might look at the the inside backer but cooper cup's looking at the inside backer the safety and he's also noticing that dn start to peel yeah, off but what's weird with him and this is uh i mean not, not to say he's not an incredibly skilled route runner and he has a really high uh, football iq he is dramatically faster in pads on the field than his 40 than what his numbers equate to so i think what it is is uh on a perfect day everybody runs as fast as they can i just think that his game speed and his speed on in a perfect day are pretty damn close whereas one guy might be 20 percent drop off like this guy on a pro day is going to run a 4-3 maybe in pads running the slant you know like after you know, 50 plays in this, maybe runs a 4.6. Cooper Cup to me is like a dude that probably ran a 4.6. And after all that, he's probably running like 4.59. Yeah. Like it, that's that's just what it, uh, when I when I watch him play, he moves way faster than what his numbers are showing. Just means that people are moving slower. His drop off isn't nearly as much. It's kind of like Cole Trickle in Days of Thunder. You remember when he's like, our lap times just haven't fallen off as much, Cole. Yeah, now now I'm really interested in the, the presentation because these are things that we aim to, to teach as well. So two big things, John, you're talking about the, the replication of speed. Yeah. So essentially max velocity, we want to decrease between the, the, the pro day 40 and what they're able to accomplish and repeat on the field. And then margin of error. So this is where cool athleticism comes into play because dudes like LeBron are so athletic, like Tyreek Hill, so athletic. They can, they can make mistakes and can afford like their athleticism allows them the opportunity to overcome that and make up for it and still make a play but then it uh i recall the 2013 nba finals the spurs versus the heat with lebron and then bruce bowen who's undrafted has to line up and defend lebron and was able to shut him down and keep the spurs in the series for for seven games so far less athletic but his margin of error was less he could not afford to make defensive mistakes. So athleticism, if we're able to, in training, expand it and make people more athletic, we increase their margin of error. But at the same time, we want to hand the sport coach more coachable athletes so they make less mistakes. And I think that's like just looking at it, it's kind of more – it is, I think I'll be honest, the, the presentation is very – like for a lot of sport coaches, I think it's – because that's what practice individual skill work is. But it's also kind of like um, to this point of like reactive agility stuff. And that's kind of where – so the higher up you get, and it's not saying like – so you know like the tennis ball, like tennis ball drills, mm -hmm. you throw it like whatever. The, the context and the age and the development of the athlete is extremely important for what you're doing for reactive agility work, if it's gonna like improve. So if I have a 10 or 11 year old, they're gonna be fun. They're even just catching a ball is gonna be challenging. 
that in my mind, the younger, the, the less skilled you are, that is a perfect exercise to drive engagement. I use it all the time. That's not saying if you'd be playing the NFL that you shouldn't do that drill, but to say that if I drop a tennis ball and you're able to react faster to me dropping a tennis ball is going to carry over to you reacting as a receiver, seeing that DB start to open up slightly before he goes into his drop. Those two things, those are not correlated. So what can we do from a training standpoint if we're working on specific reactivity at that higher level to notice something of like his hips starting to open up. So then I can, I can break off my route and see that that's where it's like the higher up you get. That's whether it's lacrosse, what any sport uh-huh. being able to notice those small intricate details and then being able to do that instead of, like I said, a tennis, that's not, it's a speci- it's not specific enough from a, a, a brain standpoint. And there's different, the brain of an expert, works differently than that of a novice or an intermediate. And there's different scans, like uh, there's certain, if you have a certain, like a, basically if you have a, a, a time constraint of like, you know, like uh, a certain, like, you know, 300 milliseconds, experts do a different kind of brain scan because they've had that experience in the memory consolidation of that. Whereas a novice, they just, it doesn't even register. You know what I mean? So there's like a difference between, hey, I've got kind of like the flashcard. I show you something, boom, and it's down. Or if I show it to you, you have an extra second for an expert they're, it's they're, the, that, that, no, they're, they're processing. So, um, this was the, uh, Dr. Jin, the brain research center. So everybody sees it at the same speed, but, uh, the highly, or was it the expert or the, like the, the tip of the spear dude, uh, processes information slower. So like, let's say we like it both flashes. You see it first flash second. I see it for more, for longer. So I have the ability to slow time, and that's kind of an interesting thing where they talk about, uh, especially in the NFL, like things happen slower for certain guys. Other guys happen faster. For me, things happen slower. Um, I was going to ask you, have you ever thought about creating a hierarchy of skills associated through different sports as they relate to a primary sport? Like, for example, Tony Gonzalez, right? Uh, Tony was an incredible basketball player. just so happened that a 6'4 tight end was, uh, you know, 17 years in the NFL, opposed from the NBA, and he played – uh, in the NFL, very similar to how he played, you know, within college basketball and how he probably would have played in the NBA. So I played with all these guys that were really skilled at certain sports. For me, uh, it was boxing and fighting. Taught me how to cut guys off in the ring, two thirds inside out, first meaningful touch. All the stuff I learned there was really helpful for me playing offensive line. Um, so I've always thought that, like, could there be a certain sport or um, something that could be learned at a young age that would actually port over better? for sports at a later age. I mean, lacrosse, I don't think so, but football is one of those weird sports where you have like an Antonio Gates that never played football, was a, a you know, goes on and plays because he was a basketball player. You know, Steve Neal never played, was a wrestler. I mean, we saw this over and over again that guys were incredible athletes and had a skill set that ended up porting over. Like I always thought like uh, running hurdles or pole vaulters. Yeah. Like, like the dude, like we, we had a, a guy that was a pole vaulter that was also a receiver. And the dude had the ability to like lay out and make catches. And I was like, fuck, it looks like pole vaulting, you know, and the precision and the running and the speed or whether it be hurdles, uh, boxing, fighting, basketball. I just wonder if like, um, and not that like you could really push it out, but I always wonder if like, here's, here's a skill set that you would develop in this sport that's similar to something that you would develop within this position later on. Well, I think it's kind of, I think it's different with the field sports, but like if you've ever, and it's kind of a lot of everybody talks about this, but like the, if you work with gymnasts, even if they've only done it for a couple of years, you know what I mean? And you start to see like, wow, your body control, like I can start teaching you. 
what you were talking on and we didn't really get onto it, but the coordination aspect. Yeah. If I can just work, if you can train somebody that might be weak, whatever, but you're coordinated and you can, you know, have very oh, good coordinative skills, uh, your it's, progress it's just- why I took my daughters to gymnastics from two until about six months ago where they told them don't bring them anymore. They're too tall. So they're 11. So for nine years, I went to gymnastics three days a week until they told them not to come. And I still take my boy. And, it, and, and I think it's like one of those things, your body control and awareness that that goes into your skill development for anything else that you do. It's like, I've never done a back, <laughs> I've never done a backflip before and I couldn't do it right now, but I don't even know how the muscles like feel firing to do that. You know what I mean? So if I, if I experienced that, it's like, oh, I've never kind of felt this, that, that, that firing, that, that, that pattern. I can, in a sense, put into other movements and, and build upon that, if that makes sense. I know that's kind of like a reductionist yeah. viewpoint, but I think gymnastics, now that's not gonna teach you how to like shimmy, gallop, you know what I mean? Because gymnastics is kind of specific with that. But I think Clo that- Closed loop, but still the fundamentals yeah. of any reactive. And then I think like, honestly, the more, uh, so I, I think, so like, I'll be honest, soccer, like when you look at yeah. like spacing, pattern, being able to stay in front of a defender, uh, precision, act, acting, understanding, and, and uh, capacity to be able to run because the amount of metabolic, uh, the, the other one um, that creates incredible metabolic capacity at young age is swimming. No, oh, yeah. Because the amount of volume done in the water uh, cannot be replicated on the ground. So yeah. those kids, and my, I mean, to my daughter, Jamie was swimming. It was like five days a week for two hours. They were in the pool, non-fucking-stop swimming to the point where I was like, do you want to do this? And she's like, this is fucking awful. Who would do this? Yeah. And people fucking do it for like, uh, they, they love it. So I, I think uh, there's like a hierarchy, but I think like you're right, gymnastics, you want to develop capacity. I think swimmers, even the girls that I worked with that were CrossFitters that had been swimmers like uh, China Cho or uh, Colleen Fausch. I mean, those girls are fucking monsters because they handled so much volume in the pool. Here's, here's another one. Um, and I haven't really experienced it a lot, but it's kind of, there's an offensive lineman for the, the Redskins, Wes uh, Schwitzer. Are you familiar with him? I, I know the name, but I can't. So uh, I bet like, uh, it's kind of like the weird stuff that people you meet through social media or whatever. And it's like, I, I, I love high level athletes that are like really into like training. Like it's not because you get a lot of people that are like good at their sport and it's kind of like training's kind of important, whatever. But it's like, no, you're like full, like, you know, your stuff like at a high, high level. So like he's, I think he was like an undrafted played like six or seven years now. Um, but like, he's really big into, he's got like this weird kind of unique kind of training stuff that he does, but he does a lot of like rock climbing type stuff. Mm. You know what I mean? And if you've ever like, I've only rock climbed one, one time and it was in a mall in Miami because it was like one of those where it's like, well, you pay us $10. If you get to the top, you get a PlayStation two. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh, this doesn't look that hard or whatever. Oh. Then you start going and it's like, wait, how am I supposed to get my hand up here with my leg up here to leverage myself up? And then you kind of get stuck and it's like, you get done. I'll be honest, my from a, a grip, forearm, after doing that, I'm like, dude, I've been lifting for a long time. I've never felt this level of fatigue from that type of stuff. Kind of like, you know, the squeezing and jits and stuff like well, that. I was going to say from grabbing the key, like and, that is fucking terrible. And so like, that's one, like, I'm, you know what? And I'll be honest, probably once or twice a week, I'm sure kids would probably enjoy rock climbing. You know what I mean? So yeah. like you take them there, like do your club sport, do your like training or whatever, but Hey, this is going to help you get to weird angles, be strong, like understanding if you get away from the a wall, it's 10 times harder than if you stay close, you know sure. what I mean, to it. But that's something one or two times a week, you're going to develop stuff kind of like the gymnastics of like certain types of strength mm -hmm. a, a great. This was a couple years ago of, I had a girl in one of our junior high uh, strength conditioning programs at their junior high. I go over there one day and like most of the time, even like, like not, not even just girls, but boys, like people can't do a full chin up or it's like even just doing lowers. It's like sure. five seconds of struggle. When you see like a 13 year old girl, just like, what is that? Like, it, it really sticks out. She, 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 she was doing chin up. She did three reps and like, I try and like, hopefully people know 
full stretch at the bottom. There's none of this like cheap stuff, chest to the bar at the top, like whatever. She did it like she was doing them like five easy body weight. And I was like, okay, she did three reps with a 25 pound plate on as like a 13 year old girl. And she probably could have done more. And I was like, gymnastic, you did gymnastics. She's like, no, rock climbing. Uh, And I'm like, okay, okay, I never would have guessed that. But yeah, I could see that. That makes a lot of sense. But like the amount I've like, you look at her and she looked like a normal 13 year old. But it's like, how did you just do that? Well, she's wired up for it. Uh, And so that that was kind of an eye-opening experience to me in that of like, wow, maybe this is something good to do. So uh, uh, at Cal, um, the gymnastics girls would come in the weight room, which I thought was hilarious. They used to make them lift weights and they fucking hated it. They thought it was the stupidest shit. So they used to just come in there and they would see whatever we were doing and then just try to like mock us and like pretend. So we were doing pull-ups and the one girl jumps up and uh, she just started basically doing um, fucking muscle or um, uh, bar, you know, like basically muscle ups, but she wasn't like bending her arms. So she was just shooting straight up and then coming back down. And she probably did about yeah, like the uneven bars. Yeah. Like she did like 10 of them in a row. And she was like, how was that one? I didn't bend my arms. (laughs) I was like, that was pretty good. Hip to bars. Oh yeah. It was crazy. And like, uh, like they were so strong in these movements and like, she's like, I've been doing this since I was three years old. Like, why the fuck are we in here? And then like the squatting and everything. And she was like, they were just so pissed off to be there. That like they just caused trouble, and I thought they were great. I'm like, this is awesome. Just come in and fucking show like a bunch of like <laughs> so stupid. They invented CrossFit. Yeah, that's why these CrossFit or these gymnastics girls go to CrossFit, and they're like, this seems way easier than doing CrossFit or <laughs> from, gymnastics. from gymnastics. Yeah, they're like, this CrossFit feels like taking a vacation, and they go out and they just slay it. But yeah, no man, it's uh, I, I've always thought that like if you could create a hierarchy. Um, of like skill development and like expose kids to certain sports, I believe that it would pay dividends later in life. Um, I just don't think football is one of those sports that if all you do is play football, you absolutely stymie yourself and you don't develop. A so skills. playing seven on seven, 12 months a year, nonstop isn't good for someone that wants to play high level football. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I just don't think well, so. Now, lacrosse, seasonality. No, no, lacrosse is a little different because Not 12 months a year. But. Uh, but the one thing which is interesting in lacrosse is it's so high skill with the stick. I don't know how you would develop something like that away. But something like football, where now you're moving in space, you're using your body as a weapon, you're trying to catch these instruments. I mean, I think that there's a skill development, but like I just well, it's kind of like a good example. Like when you're talking about Tony Gonzalez, and it's actually weird. I can tell you the first year I played fantasy football because it was Antonio Gates rookie year because this was like Yahoo, like back on like dial up internet. And I'm like going through Yahoo's like, I'm like, who's this Antonio Gates? I'm like, I'll take a late round flyer on him. He goes for like 14 or 13 touchdowns. And I win my fantasy league because I have Antonio Gates at like whatever. But like, but you look at like certain sports, like if you can jump into it without playing that sport, it kind of is a good indicator. You know what I mean? Like you can't jump into gymnastics at like 12 years old and get to like world-class level. And you're not going to jump into swimming. Like swimming, like even- Um, even an example, yeah. even like, I'm, I'm going to assume like lacrosse, you don't see people transition or maybe I, I could be wrong or whatever, but like certain sports, like you can't, if it, if, if it takes years and years to be able to get to a high level, of that sport, then there's a, that, that skill component, like football, like you said, well, like, I'm not like, just going to show up and be able to hit a hundred mile an hour fucking uh, fastball and baseball. Like that to me is uh, like, like we've joke about baseball players, not really being athletes, even though there are athletes that play baseball. But because it's so skill-based, to be able to sit there and be able to connect and do that, I don't view it as, like, uh, athleticism. I view it as, like, a highly developed skill. What's it? Like, baseball, because that's my background, it's interesting because, I mean, I, I from a strength, I was, like, you know, fast, I had good arm strength. Baseball, and kind of like some other sports, if there's one skill, if you, 
if, if you can't hit a baseball and hit it at a high level and hit it frequently, it doesn't matter how big, fast, like you have, you can't, you're not, you'll never play. You know what I mean? So like, like, like that's even if you're like a good fielder, yeah. if you can't hit, they're yeah. like, like everybody like, can feel. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Whereas like football, if you can run really fast to a certain degree and to a certain level, you'll be on the field in some capacity. Sure. If you can do something, you know what I mean? So I think baseball is the example, cause I've been around enough guys that I'm like, and even just looking back 30 years ago, when I remember it was like, don't live for baseball, you get big, bulky, just, you know, drink your six pack after the game, smoke your cigs, like whatever. And it's like, and that dude still hits 330. Like, what? I'm in the gym. Like, I can do all this other stuff. That guy is unathletic, can't do anything. But he has this ability to hit 95 back over there really consistently. How? And that's, like, the skill set. Because I've been around and it's been frustrating or whatever. But you see, like, kind of that level. And I think that's kind of uh, like... David Wells was my neighbor. Oh, are you serious? In, yeah. In Boomer? Harbor. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so, Wellesie was my neighbor in, uh, in Tampa. I lived in uh, Clearwater Safety Harbor. And... Um, we used to go to the games, and I went to the Yankees games. Fucking Wellesy would just get absolutely shit-faced. Didn't train. We'd go in his garage and play drums and shit, and then go out and just fucking throw gas. He's, like, probably the perfect example of kind of what I was describing, yeah. too. Yeah, like, no, kind of just that, like, up, nah. like, I knew Wellesy. <laughs> this is the curse of the gifted. Well, it, and, and what's wild is, uh, and this was hilarious, uh, even if he wasn't drinking, he still brought booze out there, <laughs> and he'd bring empty bottles because he was wanted the other team to think if they brought him in as the, uh, as the closer. They wanted the other team to think he was shit-faced and might throw 100 miles an hour through their fucking head. <laughs> so he'd be like, I don't get fucked up every game. I'm going to fucking keep him guessing a little bit. But, yeah, it's fucking great. Yeah, it's cool. But, I mean, the lesson is play different sports. And you may find that one of those other sports is a passion for you. I, th I think what you just said there is that, like, I, I, you might want your kid to be playing the NBA or go play in the NFL or whatever. But you know what? If you only play, it's kind of like, I've used the example, like how many Olympic sports you watch? And it's like, I could have been the best Alpine skier in the world, but you know what? I live in where I lived and my parents never did anything. I don't know because I never was even exposed to Alpine skiing. So, so it's like, if you get numerous sports and you might be like, oh, wow, I didn't realize you were so good at tennis. So the greatest determining factor for athletic success, there's three factors. And I, dude, I talked about this years ago. I mean, I think I even talked about it at the last time I spoke at the event he's at. Genetics, geography, and opportunity. So, I mean, think about like the, you know, to be an alpine skier, you're going to have to literally grow up someplace that has alpine skiing. You're going to have to have the opportunity to alpine, which means you're going to have to have skis or somebody that takes it to you. And you're probably going to need some form of genetics that have allowed you to be successful at it. You're like, ah, yeah, my mom and dad were both alpine skiers. We live in Mammoth. And uh, my parents like to ski. Wow, now I'm all of a sudden I'm in the Olympics. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's genetics, geography, and opportunity. Um, we were talking about uh, hammer throwers. That uh, if you want to be a high-level hammer thrower, you either had to live in Finland or be live in a small town within like Utah where Dan John okay. and these throwers lived. So you either had to be like Derek Woodski, you know, like it's really random. And the guys we've met over the years, it's always three factors, genetics, geography, and opportunity. My dad was a lumberjack and good at throwing shit. I was six, four. And there was a dude that threw the hammer like a, a rush. Um, you know, his high school wrestling coach was a Samba dude and taught him how to do, you know, judo or, or, um, you know, think about uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and, you know, Shandy's like, oh, my brother did it. He was training with the Gracies, and like, and now I get a chance to do it. So it's one hundred percent comes down to genetics, geography, and opportunity. And I think it's, I think I can't remember if it's Outliers from Gladwell. Yeah. Um, I can't remember if it's that that he talks about it, but like the example, even just like business, like Bill Gates, like his backstory of where he was at in Seattle and like where he grew up. He grew up so close to like the only computer in the world that could do that was in a library, like a public library. So like. 
he had the opportunity because of where he was at to like, and he spent like, I think it was like, you know, a ridiculous amount of hours doing this code or whatever it was computer. But if he would have lived in like Texas, there wasn't a, he couldn't have done what he did or whatever. So kind of like to your point, like the geography, like that kind of narrows down what a lot of different areas of what you are exposed to. And uh, like hockey, like have you, the hockey, yeah, like yeah. where it's like the best or they're born like right at yeah. the edge. They're always the oldest. So they get the yeah. best coaching. They get the best, like well, whatever. They're, they're always, um, yeah, the oldest kids for certain years. That's why they hold them back. But um, we saw this in the SEAL teams too. Uh, there was like a whole bunch of dudes. Like uh, like the story was the same. Like I uh, grew up in the country hunting. I mean, it's it's the Carlos Hathcock mm -hmm. story. I don't know if you know. I'm not, he, not. He was, uh, Carlos Hathcock was like the legendary sniper in uh, Vietnam. There's okay. some really amazing books about him. But like the story goes, uh, he was super poor. Um, his dad like you know gave him a twenty two and like one bullet, and he had to come home with dinner and would come home with like two animals. Okay. And so then all of a sudden, eighteen goes and joins the military, and like they basically put him on the range, and he's like keyholing all these things, and becomes like the world's best sniper. Like the stories are pretty amazing, but it's like if you look at what he came from and what he did, like it's it kind of makes sense. Yeah. I and mean, that's where this whole genetics, geography, and opportunity comes from. And, and how we also utilize it is to empower coaches and help them realize like these kids, they're lucky to have you. So you need to, they may not be grateful now, like the fourth grade teacher, but utilize the opportunity that you have every single day, every single rep to make an impact on their lives. And I, yeah. I, and I think like to that to that point real quick is like I think because I, I get this a lot I'm sure other coaches get all this a lot of like man I wish I had you when I was younger and I kind of like use the example of like I really wish I had myself when I was younger but to that point if I did then this probably wouldn't have mattered as much I wouldn't have been on the message board I wouldn't have been trying to figure it out so my ability to help younger the kids that I help now is because I didn't have me and I had this this matters a lot more to me than kind of like okay hey you get oh, every dude. you get everything on the silver platter. Dude, it doesn't this mean is the much exact to you. fucking story for us. Uh, all this, all the fuck ups I made, I tried to put out and prevent people from having. It's the same shit. You make all these it, and you see all these problems, and you're like, you don't have to make the same mistakes. My dad told me years ago, um, uh, if you have to make every mistake yourself, you're gonna have a hard fucking life. Uh, uh, a smart man learns from his mistakes and others. A fucking dumb man just learns from his own mistakes. I mean, I'm kind of paraphrasing mm -hmm. it, but it's true. I mean. Um, if I can't go out and like, you're, you're doing the same thing. I made all these mistakes and uh, the reason I was fucking up and I had to do all this research was because I wanted to try to fix myself. Just fucking like take a nod from my folly and don't make these same errors. Yeah. But it's the same shit. Whereas I run into the same thing. Like what if I had me, would I have been forced to learn all this stuff or would I forced to have done it? It probably would have been way easier. What if somebody just told me what to do and I didn't have to make any of these fucking changes, Yeah. which who knows you can't go back in time and change it, but it makes for a good time. But I don't know, dude. It's uh, it, it's an interesting time, and it could not be better time uh, with so much opportunity and so much information going back and forth. I'm really excited to see what happens to sports, and more importantly, if it gets better. Like if all of a sudden we like, you know, enter a different era of, of this, or you know, who knows? I mean, it's pretty neat. Well, I think you should utilize this to save offensive lineman play, John. I can't do it. And I'll <laughs> not with that attitude. No, no, no. I um I, like. I, so this is another thing I run into, especially with offensive line play. The way that I played the game is no longer coveted. So we played a different game. We used head and hands. There was a lot of hitting and violence, and now there's a lot of just patty cake. And it's a lot of like, you know, people like aren't using their heads as weapons, which was my primary, it was my third hand. So I think that like the game is softer and it has to be. They had to knock the edges off. It wasn't as violent. So the way they're teaching offensive play, offensive line play is different than I would teach it, but doesn't make it better or worse. It's just a different game than which I think I played. And I think and I think that too a little bit is 
when you look at like how the games change, kind of like you're talking about from a training standpoint too, I, don't, I think O-line, D-line, like not really much. Front seven, you have, you definitely get more perimeter type stuff. But even like looking back like 10, 15 years ago of the 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 safety, there was like a 4-7 guy that couldn't run, but he was that hard hitter like the Roy Williams or whatever. I was gonna where say, it's like I was going to say Chuck Cecil, Timmy Houck. Yeah, where you're getting that kind of like you're, you're run stuff and in the box, like whatever. The style, of, and that was back when you were in, you know what, 22 personnel. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. weren't in these like spread yeah. out or whatever where you could just – Physically, okay, you know what? Like that safety, you could be a four eight safety, but if you're big, strong, can take someone collision on, you can play. Yeah. The way that, and I think that's partially not so much because I think we've gotten a lot better like coaching, especially like high school, or whatever. But when you still try and like look at like training of that of like if we have a slow, really slow safety, the offense is now are going to explode that and they're going to take yeah. it over the top. So when you look at like the skill positions, that's where I think like kind of just fundamentally going back. If you can't run and you play, especially the higher le- levels you go to a certain degree, we're in trouble. You know what I mean? And that really kind of like prevents what you can do schematically and like whatever. If you're always having to go, I can't, we can't get beat deep. Well, it's like, dude, we're giving up 10 yards every play because our safeties are having to play so deep because our corners can't run. You know what well, I mean? Well, I mean, this we, we saw the same thing in the Super Bowl where all of a sudden Aaron Donnelly is, uh, is Aaron Donald. Uh, it's like, you know, the MVPs killing these dudes. All he was doing was playing physical football against a bunch of offensive linemen that weren't used to playing mm-hmm. physical football anymore. As I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, he's using his head. Like, <laughs> like, it just goes to show that, like, these dudes want a patty cake and keep their face out of it, and it's just not the same game. And then you bring some defense alignment that want to bring the funk and put their head in there and fuck dudes up. And you're like, shit, dude, 10 years ago, that would have been fucking every Sunday. Mm-hmm. You know, 20 years ago, those dudes would have been fucking killing you. So it's just, I mean, it's it, they had to change it. And they've tried to, like, knock the edges off it and make it a more civilized game. Um, but, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, I, I watch it, and it's good. But it's not the game I, I loved, mm-hmm. and it's not very exciting for me anymore. Well, I'm excited for tomorrow's clinic. I think you're going to put on a clinic. Ooh, the clinic. Joey, if people want to learn more and follow you, where can they head to to see – and take away lots of cool shit from your experience. Uh, so I've got, I guess, probably the best place on uh, my social media. So it's uh, my first name and my last name. So at Joey Burglis. Um, I'm on uh, like Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Uh, you big TikTok guy? It's actually... What's your TikTok dance? I know uh, what Chris no, So is. it's actually interesting that you bring that up um, because TikTok, I've probably blown up more on TikTok than I have relatively or whatever. Like, I'll be honest. This is like an example. I think I started my TikTok a year ago with zero followers. I think I'm at like 93,000, like whatever. And it's just training stuff or training stuff from like three or four years ago, like whatever. And it's kind of like, when I started, I thought TikTok was just dancing or whatever. TikTok, I'll be honest, has probably become one of my favorite, just from like, not even an entertainment, but just like new, like other different stuff. It's very interesting, like in that, in that realm. And I think like with certain mediums, because kids, being around like high school and junior high kids, you start to see like what's going to be popular five, 10 years when these like whatever. And it's like, everybody, like, we all probably have heard this enough, but like Facebook's like, oh, Facebook's for old people. Like my parents uh, are on that. They, yeah. They're not on that. They're on TikTok or they're like, I saw this on Snapchat. So like I saw like numerous and I can tell when something's kind of trending on TikTok or something or whatever, when I keep getting all these questions. So like, I guess there was one, like a bar, like bar, like hanging on a bar for a long amount of time is good for you. I had like six or seven people within like a week span, like coach Joey, does hang on the bar? Does that, or something like question around hanging on the bar. So I'm like, okay, this is obviously this, I'm getting a lot of the same questions around the same topic. I, there's something on social media right now about this that all you kids are seeing or whatever. So, uh, so no, like, yeah, I, I mean, uh, TikTok, like I said, it's been really interesting to kind of see how people interact. Well, thank you for joining us in studio for Power Athlete Radio.
Appreciate it. Great to have you guys on and I appreciate everybody for listening. All righty. Have a good day. Bye. See you.